Kia ora and welcome to episode 242 of the Steve Raw. This episode I'm joined by Stefan Smith. Again, we interviewed Stefan back in, in the January, so that was in, in February that he came on. As he was on his journey through doing Murph every bloody day, <laughs> as he says at the end, uh, Papa Smurf is, uh, should be his new nickname. Um, he's up to day 191 today, 192 in the morning of Murph every day. Of course, if you were doing Murph on Memorial Day just been, you'll know what that's like just doing it once and how you feel now with the doms. Try doing that every day for 191 days. Yeah. Um, so he's known as Garage Jim NZ, as you'll know because you're listening to the podcast. But this episode, we uh, take chatting for a walk, really. What don't we talk about? Um, hang in there because we, we change topics and we go all over the place. Uh, we talk about, uh, start off just casual chat about the unions, the rugby's over, over the weekend. Um, then we talk into a little bit of uh, Māori culture and, and sort of tikanga and, and growing up in Southland and what that's like and sort of uh, the dynamics of that and uh, ancestry. We talk about the war in Ukraine and, and Russia. Uh, and then we talk about... Uh, Māori health and, and health in a broader sense and and the restructuring of health in New Zealand. Um, so obviously that's a deep and wide and dynamic topic. So uh, with uh, Devan's history and, and politics knowledge and his work that he's doing with Auckland Health at the moment, um, me as an optometrist um, and... Uh, my mother is a previous quality assurance assessor at Southland Hospital. Um, yeah, we delve into the dynamics of public health in New Zealand. So there's a lot here, as you can see by the timestamp. We talked for a little bit and we covered a lot of things. So hope you enjoy it. It was probably the old drink art <laughs> that I was swigging away uh, on during the start. Gets the brain going, gets you focused, gets you tuned in. Of course, the discount code for that in the show notes, 20% off your order when you enter the code STAGGER at checkout. Gosh, that's all my uh, childhood medals in this uh, case I made in about full form um, hard materials. It's a beautiful wooden case. Traffic, needed to make a traffic cabinet. <laughs> um, I, even, I think I even did a uh, bit of a dovetail join there somewhere. Anyway enough of that um other discount codes are there for the gymnastics rings from 180 projects from mr max books from modern pirate and there's also five dollars towards your shizzy's account when you make uh your first purchase of shares on the shizzy's platform using that referral code and also for purchasing cryptocurrencies um we even talked about that in the podcast cryptocurrencies there with easy crypto new zealand based company for purchasing cryptocurrencies um, you'll get $10 towards your first order if you follow that referral code too. Anyway, this episode's long enough, so no more yakking. Hope you enjoy. Stefan Smith, great to have him back. Uh, Garish Jim NZ, check it out. Enjoy. Should we talented individuals there, Stefan? 
we figured it out that was proper stag teamwork <laughs> Bat- battling is that is that what that means <laughs> uh we figured it out though but yeah. um well done mate well done yeah so you, you you're wearing the hollanders proud there um yeah. did you go to the game on saturday and no i didn't go to the game um watched it on some of it on tv but no it the oldest had um friends over so yeah. gotta keep an eye on them youngins yeah they're up to no good they're up to no good those 12 year olds 12 years old yes yes i was listening to jonathan height the other day and yeah you got to watch those 12 year olds pre-teens he said yeah pre-teens but a good, a good bunch of kids though a bunch of kids that's good that's good you know i i um chuck we were at the park and i said right we're gonna go home and watch rugby chucked on the chiefs and uh it's tough when your daughter grows up in pukukoi and yells <laughs> yells things at the tv like go the mighty chiefs yeah she, she was born in hamilton so I, you know i guess i can allow it but yeah it's tough and you watch them win and you go oh yeah that's good mm. good on the chiefs and then you start watching the hollanders and you go, oh geez we're up to a good start here Next oh, no. minute, Next minute. It was a bit rough, right? It was yeah. a bit rough. They, um, I, get, I mean, to be fair, you no know, blues. You know, pr- wow, oiled machine, very crusaders like with, mm. with, um, obviously, you know, the tinge of freedom in regards to, you know, how they play the game. But I think definitely, old um, Bowden Barrett's had a massive influence on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially how they play the game this year. If you look at the Blues team from last year to this year, he's he's definitely had that. He's got his footprint right. He's got his fingerprints all over that team now. Yeah, and I think the thing the difference of the in the first half was uh, Southlander Ethan De Groot pushing putting the Blues scrum under pressure, mm. and then they brought on um, Luke Romano in the guts, yeah. and geez, he was fizzed up. And um, yeah, they just. Yeah. Turn yeah. that, turn that around, and wowee, things unfolded. Yeah, yeah, we were pretty undercooked when we the Highlanders. To be fair, like you know, Shannon Frizzell was only he only come on second half, um, and he was definitely but, un- undercooked. There was there was moments where he was gasping. Hundred <laughs> percent, right? You know, to be thrown in there, but um, yeah, it's just you know, it's a, it's a rebuild, right? There's a rebuild going on yeah. in that team. And there's some good building blocks there. It'll be interesting to see how they um, they transform themselves, especially under a new coach, right? Hopefully it's Clark Doomby, right? Yeah. It has to be. It has to be someone. You'd hope so. Yeah, hope he's so. been there. Been in the hot seat. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's an funny AC, people, so. people always uh, you know, say to me, oh, why don't you support the Warriors? It's like, shit, I support the Stags and the Hollanders. I don't need, don't need that too. <laughs> <laughs> right, I support the Warriors. But someone has asked me the other day, like, why do you support the Warriors? I said, well... You know, God, man, they're the only New Zealand league team that's in the NRL. So, you know, why wouldn't you sort of throw some support behind them? Um, I'll back them. But if they're playing the Roosters, I'm supporting the Roosters. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, yeah, I'm a Storm boy, so. Yeah. We'll the Storm. Um, but, yeah, no, the, oh, man, shit, aren't they having a rough rough run, right? You know, they're um, players don't want to come to New Zealand. The coach pulls a pin. And it's just this roller coaster ride that we've all been on with them for numerous years um 
just can't get it. They just can't get the bounce of the ball and anything going their way at the moment. And I know people talk to it like, oh, it's the ownership, it's the, the CEO, it's this, but it's much more than that. Mm. There's a certain fabric that, that needs to be um, embedded into there. Someone actually made a good comment the other day. They said, well, if Steve Hansen's a consultant at the Bulldogs, um, then how about we get Steve Hansen involved with the Warriors? Yeah. Yeah, so. not, not, that, not that the Bulldogs are on the straight and narrow either, but yeah, I suppose that's why oh, they brought, yeah. brought in the likes of Steve Hansen and be like, mate, bring us that vulnerable culture that you so apparently talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they got full gold at the Bulldogs as well, so you're mm. right. It's, um, I mean, and they've, but they've attracted some pretty good talent for next year to top up that team, so it'd be you have to think, like, hey, how well do they perform next year? But again. They're looking for a coach, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Are you an origin origin follower as well, or? Yeah. Oh man, I'm a blues blues boy from way. I'm, yeah. And then like I, I watched the first half last night, right? And then I was like, oh man, it's getting late. I got to get up at five a.m. You know, mm-hmm. got to do my routine. So yeah, cut up. I watched the highlights while I was uh, stretching and rolling out. And I was like, oh, what the hell? They lost. <laughs> I was like, damn it. And my Instagram, well, I knew it was going to be blowing up. I was like, oh, my God. So I kind of avoided that one for a little bit, eh, for a few hours. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, um, mate, what an atmosphere, eh? They turn it on for State of O, you know, just as a um, for spectator, right? Did, have you ever been to a nah, State No, no. I, I went, because I went to Sydney for a conference uh, first year I graduated, mm. and... Um, yes we were standing in the middle of town and qualifying finals were on so yeah. unfortunately the roosters qualifying was on the saturday and we had an event but on the friday we were you know i was there a day early and so i went and watched the manly rabbitos qualifying final and thankfully i chose the rabbitos side to sit on because out of those two i sort of prefer the rabbitos and yeah what that was wicked so that was like uh burgers brothers um and who's the who's the fullback that Played for the Maroons quite a while there. That played for the Rebels. Shit. Oh, old um Greg, Greg Inglis. Yes. Greg Inglis, yeah. Yeah, and he scored a magical try from 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 the back down the left hand side. It was, which was in front of straight in front of us. It was so good. Yeah, it was cool. Oh, that was just qualifying, so it wasn't full. But yeah, yeah there was a, there was a lot of people there. Um, of course, as those <laughs> those finals move along, they get pretty intense. Yeah, I, I've. Yeah, I've only been to games here in NZ. I haven't been to one in Aussie. Um, but I said to my wife last night, I said, we've got to get to a state of O game. Mm-hmm. Just to, to soak up that atmosphere. It just seemed to be, you know, it's totally vibing, you know. It's just, you know, 80,000 people last night. Yeah. Elite game, right? That's phenomenal. So, it's awesome, eh? Yeah, you know, I've, 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 uh, I don't know what it's been about this year. Maybe it's the fact that we got the old technology you know it advances you get the old google play on the tv and uh you get the sky app on your phone and you go oh shit there's some code on and i'm you know billy's old enough now where it's like well do you want to go play with your toys or do you want to watch rugby and she she decided to watch the rugby but yeah. um yeah it's like i guess it's the the other thing isn't it? the agent stage of your kids where you can be like no nah, i'm watching the rugby you, you guys watch other stuff <laughs> yeah, exactly right they've lost their rights now yeah, take your pick. Yeah. Go, 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 play, do something else, or you can watch the rugby. <laughs> These <Yeah>. your choices. 
Watch the footy, man. You can watch the footy. So, um, yeah, so the big girl, obviously, she's playing league. Yeah. She's playing league. First time this year um, at Mount Albert and like loving it, loving it. Like just because they're full noise, right? Mm-hmm. There's no there's no ripper and there's no like, you know, it's like full noise. It's full on. So, but it's well coached team. Um, girls are, are loving playing league. Obviously, that's her first year. And um, they're like un, undefeated so far. They won like four nice. games. And she's loving it. Like, she's just like taking it to duck to water. Eh? It's like so. It's awesome for me, like being an ex footy boy. You know, to see your see your oldest sort of jump in and play a physical contact sport like that. And and league, I was quite keen for her to sort of dabble into league, not not rugby. Yeah. I just want to kind of like. And she she's just taking it like I'm like really super impressed and proud of Ray that she's done that. So um, is this, there's not the same margin for you in league, is it? You know, it's kind of like the tackle happens, whereas when you got a ruck and various yeah. continuous play, you get you get a lot of moving oh. parts. And, super, um, super technical, right? You know, yeah. in league, uh, I mean, in rugby union, sorry. So, um, but damn, for these for twelve year old girls, they train like they they coaches Good. coaches are on, and they're tra- they're doing Broncos, yeah, you're- <laughs> and, and doing like you know um, Henny Muller's, you know, figure eights of a footy field, and they just they're full noise proper training. So I'm like, damn, that's wicked. But the coaches are amazing, like just phenomenal coaches who uh, easily connect with young people, especially young women, you know, mm-hmm. coming through. So uh, yeah, it's cool to sort of watch and develop. And because I haven't come from the league scene, mm-hmm. that's another real blessing too. So it's like, I'm not, you don't you have know, an opinion so much. Yeah, I'm just a dad. I'm a dad supporting my daughter and, and loving watching her play league, you know, and that's about it. If it was union, it'd be different. People would be asking questions and, and I'll, you know, and I'll be trying to avoid it. But here, yeah, I'm running the plays, you know. Yeah, yeah like, oh, you got to run this angle, you know, and you go, yeah, you know, you got to scrum, set piece out, 30 meters out, you know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and that's what I love about league. So, and, and she's enjoying it. So that's the best thing, right? That's the kids are, she's, you know, kids are enjoying playing something. Yeah. The youngest has started playing tennis. Working. Uh, yeah, we took it, we're taking the tennis, and um, she's bloody taken to it like the, like she's been playing since she was born, you know. Little, little Martina Hingis. Oh, I think yeah, she's just. Like, well, I think Steffi Graf or whatever her name is. Apparently, <laughs> I was I was listening that Steffi Graf. I don't know. They had some sort of thing in Germany where they tested tested a bunch of kids and they got them playing tennis. And Steffi Graf rocks up and she's gifted athletically, but just like, um, what's the terminology? Like a pit bull with a rope or something. It was like got mm. after and just like train, train, train perfectionist and yeah, yeah. So, yeah they're like when it came to Steffi Graf you know playing tennis then you were just like oh, why do we even bother this lady, this lady's incredible right it's a work ethic right and um a little bit of that it was a work work ethic of like I'm going to train to be the best yeah. and then that other just uh, and also that mentality of I'm not going to lose yeah and then also just gifted athletically as she was just just you know specimen normal might you see that like um was it King Richard have you seen that movie King yeah. Richard but the Williams, okay, uh, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a pretty good movie, um, and it's it's like just the ethic and 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 the, just their mindset to to want to succeed is phenomenal, mm. you know, and and academically too, like their whole family, 
Um, they just wanted the very best for the kids that they've got. But um, yeah, there's a few things in there. You think like, oh man, he comes across as a real asshole too. <laughs> pushing, uh, pushing them. Yeah, hard. yeah, you know. And I think some people would probably say, man, oh, that's but you're pushing the boundaries there in regards to being a father. And but you know, it was a pretty good portrait of them, of 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 him, I guess. And um, but definitely of the girls, like bro, mindset, determination um not not to give up and just to work your ass off to achieve mm. anything you want to achieve in this world and well their belief systems phenomenal like mm. to think that they were what going pro at what 14 or 15 um playing against seasoned pros and then what within a matter of years pretty much dominating right yeah hard out they're amazing yeah it's a good watch bro it's a good watch on that sort of topic of like pushing people and stuff like that, did you find some time to have a read of the cycling review? No, I've I've read bits and pieces. I read a bit of obviously. I was quite interested in when it first sort of read its. I guess it's ugly head in regards to you know athletes speaking out and then you know the unfortunate death of that young cyclist. Yeah, I was yeah. I was uh, putting paper on the fire the other day and it was an article and had. Eddie Dawkins' photo on there as well, and it was uh, yeah. talking about how she'd received the twenty thousand dollars for mental health and and all that sort of stuff. And Eddie, Eddie sort of uh, spoke to it, I guess that you know, like they didn't give twenty thousand dollars for anything, so it must have been pretty major. But yeah, on the same token, she was extremely capable. The team she was in was extremely capable. They kind of like left the team out, and she was just out of favor. And and you know, maybe it was to do with the first review and. You know that's not good, but at this at the same time, it's like you know, absolutely, it's an absolute tragedy that that yeah. pr- that pressure and that inability to handle that environment and and um, the the politics of sport, yeah, right, got gone to that stage. It's it's, it's shit. Yeah, um, I haven't. Yeah, so we, yeah, I do. I will go and read that. I'll be quite interested to see. I know they've you know they've apologized and, and and so forth but it's there's a lot of stuff right in sport i think i spoke about this not with you but someone else recently and it was like when they they asked me like oh i think it was on my hundredth i was talking about my mate was asking me he goes oh when i played footy and then i got injured and um and he was like oh he said to me he goes oh i'll bet they did they cut you adrift yeah and um i said no actually though the union because I was like, I was under NZRFU at that time. And I said, they were really, really good because uh, medically, yeah. like they paid for like surgeries. Everything was covered like for about 18 months was like all, all the business in regards to trying to get the body back to a functioning level. But I said, what was missing was the, um, was the mind, yeah. was the psychology to go and see someone about, because I said, it was like, and I spoke about you, wasn't it? And I was like, it's just, spiraling into a pit of despair because it was like i didn't know how to handle it what do you what do you think a question would have been like what are you going to do now if this doesn't go right stefan what are you going to do now do you think that it would would have been that simple no because i think i would have no yeah i think you're right it wouldn't have been that simple right i would have been looking for like what can we do to help you mentally to push forward because i think my mental regression Mm stop me from playing the game mm-hmm. like physically i probably got back to what probably 95 percent of what i could do but it was the mental regression and i mm-hmm. just couldn't 
I didn't heal that from being, you know, getting getting injured and then fighting at you know eighteen months or two years out of the game trying to recover and come back. And um, yeah, I was, I was set, mental regression. But you're right. And I what? I think it would have been interesting to see what. The, I think just to talk about it, right? Yeah. Just acknowledge think, the elephant in the room, like, yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, this could be career ending, mate. You've just yeah. you've just ended up with us, and, and yeah. we're gonna look at, like you said, we're gonna look after you medically, but yeah, this ain't looking good in terms of you being a rugby player anymore. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, it's fun. I never spoke about it with like my flatmates. I never spoke about it with you know, no, like my girlfriend at the time. And I never spoke about it with my parents or mm-hmm. family. Uh, I just kind of said, oh no, no, I'm just rehabbing. I'll be back. And I just thought in my mind that I would be. So I thought that strength of having that thought of, I will be back. Yeah. But actually, if you break it all down, right, it's like, I wasn't, I didn't have that mental strength to to go to maybe go, okay, maybe I won't be back, but I'm going to do everything I possibly can to give myself that opportunity to try and come back. But if I don't, Mm. that's okay. I have these other avenues that I can um, pursue. And yeah, and that's, that's like that balance of stoic philosophy, isn't it? It's like yeah, yeah. being unemotional, but acknowledging yeah. the emotion of the thing, and like acknowledging it moving, acknowledging it moving, yeah. you know, and just being being a what's that saying? Be like water, you know. Yeah. If, if you know, go with that flow of, of yeah. what happens, and um, you know, control what you can control, yeah. put in what you can, you know, and and, and when an injury happens and you have surgery, well, you all you can control is the rehab. All you yeah. control is is your health and lifestyle. And yeah. then it's, you know, like I say, might have taken that one person and be like, right, hey, you're doing great things there. What about this side of your life? <laughs> yeah. And the thing, I reflect back now and I'm like, you know, and I, I was kind of like, fuck, man. I was a real asshole to a lot of really good people because I was just really angry because I couldn't be the player I was before I got injured. Mm. Um, so I, I didn't know how to deal with that. And being a, a douchebag is not a way of dealing with it right you're just letting out anger and frustration um but what it would have I, I definitely what would have helped was to remain involved but in another aspect of footy at the time while going through rehab whether that was hey oh you know is there anything i can do in regards to supporting the team or the boys or the club team and you know on prepping up for the game or you know could have done that sort of stuff you know mm-hmm. um and which is what i ended up doing much later right when i started and that, and that was and that was the sort of healing side of things as well yeah yeah. yeah. and yeah. it would have been cool to sort of been to contribute to everyone else because you know and then it'll still make you feel like you're part of something and then you're contributing to the boys and the team and you're still in that sort of environment that you kind of really enjoyed so that's a that's a big lesson um that I, I took out of that which I've, i guess i've embedded into my life now is like you know always have and i and i love stoicism and 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 the viewpoints that come out of that because it's like looking at the the alternative um status of where you are in your life like mm. if something cruel or something bad happens then absorb it understand it but then look at what it potentially can give you mm-hmm. in a positive field um so you get some really good lessons out of that, which I think I've been able to sort of utilize and translate in workplace with teams that I've managed and run and built, mm. but mm. also in sport, um, coaching and so forth. And just personally for myself, like, um, 
I hope I'm not a douchebag anymore. <laughs> 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 I think I'm not. Yeah, um, not but it's nice to share learnings, right? Like even the bad ones that you've had because they've become really good lessons for others. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. That, that 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 brings me into the, the top one of the topics I want to talk to you about. Did you uh, get a chance to have a listen to the the latest grouse and two uh, a few reds? Yes. <laughs> Which one are we talking? The one where they got Jordan no, not, got... not not the apology. The um the right we got to got to move forward and um, oh no I haven't had if, a chance. To yeah, so obviously you know when you do okay, you make you make a joke that uh, doesn't quite land and. And I've got a, I do have a little bit of a perspective on that, having gone back and having listened to what they said. Um, I'll, I'll play the sort of devil's advocate for them a little bit. Yeah. They never, they never actually talked about someone specific. They were talking about a past life, and they were sort of putting it in the context that what I was doing before wasn't living my truth, and I changed what I was doing. You know, even even the whole scaffolding joke, like. Yeah. You know, as you sort of said in the apology, you know, not taking anything away from scaffolding. There's lots of people that are extremely successful scaffolding. We need people scaffolding, but it wasn't him. And what did he go? He went into journalism, and then yeah. now he's now he's in Australia doing what he does with YKTR. And I, I've I've sort of felt from the victim perspective that they took that on. They identified with that and sort of gave up their power to the whole thing and and then and then the, the pile on which is always seems to happen was mm. quite quite interesting and like I'm, I'm really glad that they acknowledged it apologized you know said sorry for offending people which they did and and then i'm glad that they've now come back two weeks and are carrying on because like we we said in our chat if you apologize for something you acknowledge that you're not doing something well, then you kind of need to show that you mean that and you're living what you've said yeah so that, yeah that... yeah 100 um yeah so i'll have to listen to that it was interesting and i think you're right like i do know that um to be fair hey that pylon was really directed at jordan yeah and um because of his obviously his um Samoan heritage and where he'd come from and uh i think that was damaging and the plus also like he because he's got a tatao right and mm-hmm. that was another thing that was kind of um disappointing for a lot of people in the community and i think that's that's you know that you you ride that um that fine line right mm-hmm. in regards to how they what they do and, and how they operate but the same applies to to you and myself and others who do podcasts right we can ride a, a fine line between something that we say and we mean can be interpreted another way by somebody else and they mm. would take offense to it that's right it's, it's unfortunate that how it was portrayed and come across and um how it was delivered and how the i guess the pacific community felt about that they were being signaled out and attacked especially in south auckland mm. that they really took offense to to that considering he was from south auckland but i mean i'm not here to you know i think we had a good discussion about it and i think it's it's they they went to australia like many people do they went there to find something better for themselves and and to achieve something in life and and sure they've gone they've gone ahead and done that successfully 
uh, off the back of um, YKTR. You know, Isaac's brought them into the fold and, and you know, they've been crushing it. Um, the apology, you know, I mean, the apology was done and I think sometimes you just, you know, I gave people to hang up on and, and pile into it and, and, try, and still try and tear it down. But the fact that they still stumped up and, and they've done it pretty quickly hmm. and put it out there and and they've let the sort of the heat cool a little bit and i'm sure here's the thing you know, doing a public apology that's 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 fine that's beautiful but i'm, I'm sure that privately they've they've possibly i believe they probably would have privately been apologizing to their families and and other people hmm. that we wouldn't know about right and um and we don't need to know about that because i think I would, I would suspect that that's what they would have done as well. And, and a little bit of sitting back and reflection saying like, Hey, okay, maybe, you know, we'd be a bit, you know, not cautious, but we'd be careful in, in our dialogue a little bit because it could be, this is the blowback. Mm -hmm. right? If it goes a little bit 10 degrees this way too much, you know, people are going to get that tooled up on it. Um, Cause I think I'm pretty certain, bro, they might've, I'm pretty certain Jordan was getting like one ounce and, and bloody death threats and shit. Yeah, uh, so they they touched like because they've obviously started off with like, "How you doing?" And, and yeah. Jordan's like, "I'm oh, probably pretty depressed." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, was, he, was, he was straight up with what he's been doing. I, yeah, I don't know if he's broken up with his girlfriend or his girlfriend's off overseas or something. But yeah, he was just like, "Oh, pretty 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 lonely time period." And yeah, like I I spoke to him and he's like, he was just said, "Oh man, I just want to." Because I was going hunting, he said, oh, "I just want to come hunting. That'd be great." Dude. Like we'd just be like, "Oh, get get away from the world and just you know in nature and, and yeah, just wrap myself and get in my thoughts for a bit." Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and it's maybe it's been a really blessing for them too. Like, oh yeah, tighten up, tighten up what they do, and then you you know they're going to probably have to rebuild a bit of um, their profile. Good faith, you know, good faith, yeah, faith. yeah, especially if the you know the community and. Um, but I think if you know if the the apology is sincere and, and you know they and they branch down that pathway of like you know I think Jack Jacko was it is it Jacko A yeah and he was, he was acknowledging the fact you know he's got a lot of learning to do in regards to his Maori heritage mm -hmm. um, and you know that's wicked bro to stand up and say that you know just to just to openly say it right you know you're like yeah I, I'm Maori but man I, I bro I don't know no, I need to find out more mm. um, so. I guess respect to them for apologizing respect for them for moving forward and um yeah but holy hell man wasn't that a crazy what yeah week when that sort of hit the fan yeah well and the other thing i guess the positive side of doing a podcast is there's a whole back catalog of what hmm. they're really about and people know who they are and yeah, you know, yeah. They're, they're pretty open with their with their lives on on social media so people do have a have a body of work to to look at and go actually you know maybe they did just fuck up and yeah yeah, yeah. and as I, as I said now they've continued on and then again they haven't brushed it they've, they spoke about it again and um you know said you know said their thing again and, and, it, was, yeah. and it was good and it was kind of like moving on and and, and it's pretty it's a pretty open and transparent podcast I hadn't really listened to it before I'd seen a few clips on mm. on, on Instagram and stuff but um yeah no so. Yeah, like you say, what a what a crazy crazy thing for for a week in Australasia, you know? Right, yeah, I, I'm pretty. I think I think YKTR might have, they lost quite a few. They lost some following, eh? 
Yeah. They, they got hit. Yeah, I think it might have been four, maybe four or five K down. Well, I definitely uh, saw, a, I saw a post and, and there was comments of like, cancel, cancel, cancel like pile yeah. on stuff. You know, this was a, after the apology yeah. and everything. And I was like, oh, yeah. So, yeah, that we, we're going to act like that, are we? But, you know, in terms of following and then in terms of, of people that actually buy into a brand, there, there's, you know, you are going to get that. That's mm. on scale, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I guess. No. Yeah, I mean, I um, they'll bounce back. Um, and I, I mean, to be fair, I like Isaac Johns and what he's done and what he's achieved. I mean, yeah. um, and, and he shared a lot of his like how to, yep, with a lot of people. And, um, and I'm sure he would have had like words with the boys and going, like, Oh, fuck's sake, man, come on, boys, you're gonna have to step up. And, 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 and but he allowed them to own it, right? Yeah. And, and, um, and I think that's really good. That's that's really brilliant leadership by him. And, yeah, I was sort of like, because you know obviously my wife's someone and so my kids uh and i guess from from i'm not i want to speak for her but from, from what she tell, was telling me and how she felt she just felt it was really um it was derog derogatory and mm. abuse the way that it was done um and demeaning for pacific woman because mm-hmm. there's that, obviously that that culture around because yeah. your mum and your you give birth and you, and you create that Ainga, that whānau, that family, and they're sort of the matriarchs. And mm. yeah, so I mean, yeah, you're right. It was a comment and a joke, and the way it went went far too much to a certain degree over here, backfired and they paid the price. And but um they stepped up both, they apologized, and you know, I don't want to see all of them and you know, let, let them grow from it, hey, and let them grow and become better, better people. And I'm sure they will, right? Yeah. They appear to have a pretty good level of self-awareness going on. You know, they openly admit their flaws and their upbringings of, you know, and their bad habits. So, you know, uh, we've all we've all got them. Yeah, that's right. Them. We just we we just you know we just don't we haven't had that 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 profile that they've got. You know, we, we there's probably there's plenty of things that are out there that I've that I've probably done that were like people would pile on that and go, what a fucking douchebag mate and just be hard out into it so me too um, man me too (laughs) they're not alone and for anyone to think that that they stand out as being you know um just a a small percentage of the population that 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 do things incorrectly or wrong or fuck bro 99 percent of the population do stupid shit Mm. and and, but 99 percent of them don't apologize for it you know, so I appreciate the people that apologize for doing stupid things and own their shit. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and these guys have so, um, and big ups, because, you know, I told, I mentioned you know, Isaac John's message, anyway, sort of saying, like, you now the boys are really sorry and, you know, and they, they know that they, you know, they dropped the ball mm. um, in regards to it. So, and, you know, you got to appreciate that because, I mean, I don't know him personally. You know, what I mean, I don't know, I don't know Isaac Johns, um, but you know, bought their kit, followed them for a long time, appreciate what he's done. So to even just take that time, and I think he messaged me like, "Fuck, it was about four thirty in the morning." Yeah. So, you know, you know, it was playing heavy on him, and just to reach out and say, make contact with people that had um, commented or tagged them on shit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Anyway, holy yeah. hell. There's bigger things happening in the world besides YKT, YKTR and uh, <laughs> Jacko. 
Fucking yeah, hell, you've got Russia, Russia ripping into Ukraine. You've got food shortages. We've got monkeypox. Yeah, I was just, I was just, I was just listening to Alex Freeman talking about um, Russia and Ukraine. Who, who the heck was that? That was, that was gnarly and intense. Um, that, that it's the sort of downside of, or the upside, sorry, of uh, driving to Topol and back each day as I've been getting yeah, into yeah. the into the deep ones, into the Peter Tears and the Lex Freemans. See, this oh, guy was um, Stephen Kotkin, Putin, Zelensky, in the war in Ukraine. I think okay. it was like a good, good good time span yeah oh i've got 15 minutes left doesn't tell you how much it was but yeah oh yeah two hours 41. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, was it? it's, it's, that's the last time stamp i've got 15 minutes to go so yeah there, there was a there was a lot to consider there um yeah. going on with russia and stuff but yeah. it's yeah it's it's, it's phenomenal i've been listening to ukraine cast okay yeah yeah and it's, it's done by bbc so right. um it's pretty good and it gives you a good sound bites about what's happened there and, and what's going on and all the players that are playing a part in it mm. um you know the uk perspective u.s perspective but also russian perspective and there you know um in belarus and co mm. so um yeah jam to that bro when i'm doing birth I'm, I'm, I'm chopping and changing between uh, Roman history, yep. um, Ukraine cast, and then multiple podcasts. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so just to get, it's, it's good, most it's good for the mind, but it's good to know what's sort of get us some understanding on what's actually happening. And, you know, that's a big deal, right? Um, currently at the moment. You being, being a student of history, is it, is it quite a, I don't know, does it, you, know, you don't want to get excited about a war, but I, I don't know what the, what the right word is. Is it, is it kind of like spark? Well, I guess spark your interest, part spark your, your passion a, a little bit to sort of understand and 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 look back to look forward at, at what you've learned about and then what you're seeing. And like that was kind of what this what was quite good about that podcast. Yeah. That I talk about the sort of last two hundred years of of Russian history um, and and what's going on and things like that. It was it was quite good. The guy the guy. Um, is has written two books already on Stalin and is into his yeah. third book. <clears throat> yeah, crazy times. I mean, you listen to that <coughs> deep knowledge and understanding of, you know, um, previous, you know, rulers or presidents or you know, conflict that was occurred say in the last two hundred years. It's just um, you kind of think like, how the hell did anyone get away with it? How do you get away with it? And mm. it's um, it's just phenomenal, eh? There's some really common traits that sort of send stem through it. And it just shows you the inst instability which exists in, in Europe, you know, from coming from being empires or imperialist empires to kingdoms to fiefdoms to, you know, that place has changed dramatically in two or 300 years. Mm. Um, border lines have changed, boundary lines have changed. Um, numerous world uh, two world wars have occurred which has again changed the the, the geographic nature of the, the europe and mm -hmm. um yeah being a history and political science guy it's it's kind of super interesting and it's um it's yeah it's interesting to see how it's going to play out and it's interesting to see what the you know I, I guess everyone knows what the worst case scenario potentially could be right Doomsday, uh, eh? yeah yeah it becomes tech nukes being utilized and then tech nukes become oh let's use bigger ones because they're not bending the knee 
and then all of a sudden everyone's pressing buttons uh with everyone and then or the again devastation for countries massive civilian depopulation and loss of lives you know destruction beyond measure and we've seen it what in afghanistan fucking iraq syria i mean it's it's endless it's like we kind of like dine out on fucking conflict and mm. and and battles and war and here we are luckily in new zealand quite far from and removed from that sort of violence um but watching it from afar doesn't make you feel safe no feel like what the fuck's going to be what's it what's our future going to be for our kids yeah you know my daughter your daughter like what's it what are they facing when they're 30 yeah you know yeah, lex lex had a pretty interesting question for steven he said said you know you're you're standing there in 1922 and and you know do you predict the next 100 years you know having mm. having read read and written about stalin all this time you've got 1922 how do you how do you see the world do you see another world war do you see all these continual escalating conflicts throughout the world you know the iraq iraq twice afghanistan two mm. or three times um you know mm. pakistan and india still going at it yeah. china china's movements around asia and and stuff yeah. like that and he's like and he said no i don't he said we you know we, we signed these agreements um there's more democratic countries than ever and you know exactly as you say these fine lines between a country's interests and these democratic processes and democratic interactions and trade and stuff and then you know bubbling underway there's these there's these you know empire type mindsets that like oh actually we want we want to be restore our empire or, or whatever you want to how you mm. want to look at it yeah it's, it's messed up hey it's super messed up i mean um I was really lucky when I was at Otago, I had, uh, Robert Patman was one of my lecturers down there. And mm -hmm. he he's, speaks a lot on the news. They use him a lot for insights. Okay, yep. He's really on. He's um, really on point. But he was talking about um, two things. And this was in the late 90s, right? Two things. And what are we in 2022? Mm -hmm. There's two things he was talking about consistently the two things to worry about moving forward in the future the rise of um islamic fundamentalists and war for water resources mm -hmm. there were the two things and this was nearly what 24 years ago mm. this guy is like nostradamus styles <laughs> nailed it on the head and it's it's like what the hell and so that shows you there's these trends right if you look back in time and history that there's these trends that occur that you can actually predict some of the conflicts that which would occur hmm. or have a pretty good reasonable understanding that hey um, certain things are going to um, kick off in certain spaces at a certain time so and i always found that he was exceptional in that and, and exceptional in explaining it because hmm. he was talking about islamic fundamentalists and the rise of it 15 years before he i was at uni and he was talking about it hmm. So he was already well aware of the potential of 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 the effect that that, that could have within um numerous societies so um yeah it's sort of it's here we bro people know me as garish jim nz man here we are have we talking about ukraine russia islamic fundamentalists it's not fun actually either yeah <laughs> mindset 
um, this in high performance cycling review. Yeah. This is bloody. This is how. This is awesome. This is how it is, right? This is yeah. you know, two well, two two guys that are love other things. That's and right. Like, have a deep understanding. Yeah. So then, then I've got, I got the question for you. And you mentioned like, like Jacko saying about how he's got to know his Māori heritage. Well, as a, uh, you know, Irish descendant growing up in Southland, I know nothing. I, I, I said I was inter- interviewed on um, Rolling Rush's podcast and, and Hendo's podcast. And I said, I've got no idea. I know that Queenstown and Christchurch are mostly owned by Ngaitahu. And is it Ngaitahu or Kaitahu there, Stefan? Uh, yeah, so Kaitahu is the would be the correct way of of saying it because there's no um, they don't use the na like yeah. the end. yeah so but naitahu is also seen as appropriate so wh- wh- why is why is that aspect of, of just a, um, I guess it's probably it, it's, it sort of demonstrates right like that when Maori or you know people arrived in the country that they're not necessarily came from the same place mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. came from the same ocean area but they've got different dialects but they also develop dialects it's like how you know like southland they have that, the that, that problem, <laughs> the R, which is not you know that's not really a thing anywhere else in the country right yeah and then you've got different sort of you know slang and, and uses of words in other areas i think the dialects are different like the dialect and and, and Napui up north is is different again from um, Tuhoi, which is different from Tainui, and then Kaitahu is different again. And mm-hmm. it's I guess it's enunciation and how it was pronounced. And that could very well be from the predominantly the large group of people that were part of the original settlers, and that just maintained them. And it's probably developed because if you're not exchanging language with other people, mm-hmm. that that form of language that you've got is going to become quite prominent and seeded into your community right mm-hmm. and it's not like they were jumping on the cook straight ferry and shooting up to um napier to go and grab some peaches and stuff you know like yeah. there was the potentially would have been traveling and trade and so forth and they would have had a common understanding of you know language and um you know verbiage or cues uh, with other iwi and that throughout the country but they would have maintained some of the originality mm. of of the maybe the accents, the the pronunciation of certain words and styles, and potentially that could have come from a different part of Polynesia. Because mm. um, I know they talk about like the you know um, the Great Wakanat were you know the landing point was Cook Islands or Rarotonga, and then going up there and then traveling down to New Zealand. But I'm pretty certain that. We possibly come from other area, other parts of the Poland Pacific Ocean, mm-hmm. um, and you know, because Sa- you think like Samoa, just say Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Vanuatu, Sol- some uh, Solomons, they all speak different language. Mm. So you, you're surely going to be picking up different enunciations and, and dialects and how to say things in a different way, which mean the same though. Because if you go back in the islands, right? There's certain words that are exactly the, that mean exactly the same as they do in New Zealand, mm. Maori. Um, so it's part of that great, and it's I think it'd be the same in Russia, yeah. the same in any large country, right? That's got multiple 
um, populations or indigenous populations with different dialects and different ways of, of talking and communicating. Mm. China would be like that. 100%. Yeah, right. it is, it India is, would yeah. be. I think yeah. India, India, India has like a crazy is. amount of um, languages, right? Like, isn't it in the thousands or something? Well, even like uh, in Australia, they say that there can be <coughs> mobs of the Australian Aboriginal people that are, you know, with within a hundred k's of each other, and they all speak different languages. Yeah, yeah, they probably don't even. Yeah, I think yeah, I've read somewhere that they don't. Sometimes they don't. Certain tribes say they just don't understand each other. Yeah, they're that far apart, and um, and it's you know, I think it's so that's why there's yeah, kato and naito is the they can be it's universally used. Kato is probably used more um down home but even um like um like down home and where i'm from it's kati mamui so mm -hmm. he, we use heaps of k um but if you you know go crisis obviously it's kind of if you go to the naitahu um corporate office it's it's naitahu it's naitahu on the website it's naitahu on the thing so they they embrace both no, yep. one, no one's going to go, hey, Ryan, you, you should be saying Kaitahu, not Kaitahu. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so it's, um, and I, I've still got like Jacko, like many others, oh, like yourself, you know. I mean, shit, man, I've got so much more to, to learn and to to pick up, not only about my Māori side, but like mum's side, Scottish and French. Yeah. I know very little about that side. And uh, mum does, doesn't know much either, you know, because yeah. she was born in New Zealand, right? Mm -hmm. uh but isn't that part of it's kind of cool though eh, when you want to develop you want to dive into that sort of stuff like your irish heritage would be would be wicked to find out man what your yeah we, we've got like a, a pretty good understanding of my mum's mm. dad's side um so my, my granddad's side of things they he, he wrote a, a journal when he came over and oh, then cool. his son wrote a journal when he went to the first world war so oh, we've got wow. like two two well you know so they yeah. they were in farmhouses in the middle of ireland um and i guess it was just like the stage where it's like well you guys need to find somewhere else to live and something else to do because we're living in this house i don't know what you guys are doing so so they came yeah. came out to new zealand but you know being up being on in northern ireland i think there must have been a bit of a british influence and it must have been some level of education and, and maybe that was why they were able to travel over to the other side of the world is because they could write a letter and a, apply for a visa and all that sort of stuff but yeah to to when them, did they settle in um nz oh shit i think it was like uh 89 or 91 um they oh. they shipwrecked in in the catlins and on new year's oh, eve wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's you know captain and the crew were boozing up and they ran aground <laughs> well, that's a rough place to bloody shipwreck on right you know i imagine that age you know, i said you've gone all halfway around the world and you're um you've gone to south africa you've gone to australia and you're just cruising around the um the catlins there yeah. one of the roughest coastlines around yeah. and you and you run aground in this history and so because because everyone was boozed up some of the crew thought that they'd you know abandon and, and grab the lifeboat and so they took a lifeboat's worth out so the captain's losing his shit there's a there's a ferry coming from Dunedin down to bluff uh, called takatimu and oh, yeah. um we told them to piss off and, and he got he got the boat back up again yeah. and then sure enough got to the other side of the river and run aground again yeah so there's a one lifeboat on one side of the estuary with him with the rest of the um passengers and things on the other side of the estuary and he's probably got a dirty hangover and then the next day the takatima comes back picks up the first lifeboat takes them across 
the mouth of the river and then picks up the other ones and takes them to Dunedin and you're just like, holy heck, like, imagine right. that. And then you rock up and you're like, right, where are the, where are all the Anglican and Irish people at? Like, we, we, <laughs> we, we need to bloody live. We've already half died. You know, we need, we need a job. We need a gig. Um, imagine that, um, imagine that travel though, like on a ship from Ireland. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even like a, good ass ship it's like a quite this long i think it's, i can't remember what the t- style of boat is called we've got that written down but yeah it wasn't like a you know big it's ass like steamer ocean thing. yeah yeah it's just phenomenal hey like here we are like we always complain like what the hell the plane's late it's gonna be an hour <laughs> late oh my i can't believe there's no snacks on the plane i've got to pay for it yeah Hardcore. Like, those guys are what what do you reckon they how long you reckon it took them? Like, oh, how long did they travel? Weeks, eh? And like, in you know, the the amount of people in camaraderie is diminishing as well. And, and, I know, <laughs> and right? And then you fucking shipwreck about you oh, know a hundred k's from where you're supposed to be. <laughs> no privacy. No privacy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that was the other thing because it was like, um, my James he he came out with his sister, and of course, I think they were in different parts of the small boat, and you're like, golly. It's crazy that the, the, the you know our ancestors then like what you know in the eighteen nineties or eighteen just I'm just gonna shift to New Zealand. How long yeah. is it gonna take? Probably six months, guys. Okay, what yeah. what can I take? One bag. <laughs> uh, um, well, uh, okay, cool. And I, I you can't email anyone. You're not you're not your letter that you're going to write to anyone who you know in New Zealand is going to take about the same amount of time as you on the boat getting to New Zealand. Back yeah, you're, you're taking the mail with you. <laughs> it's just, um, you know, we just have no sense. I, I just don't have a sense of like, holy shit, man, that's just incredibly brave Yeah. of, of your family, right? Your, your, uh, just to go down tools, we're off to NZ on a ship. Yeah, and that makes, makes me wonder, like, what is what is the navigation like with with a you know, what is it called Tunston or whatever? I don't even know mm. what it's called. Versus, um, you know, the Polynesian yeah. people navigating with the stars. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of captains back then were still, to some extent, using stars to get it, to get around the place. And oh, yeah, definitely right. They would be especially seasoned captains, right? They would have travelled so far into so many different places, so they'll know you know the temperature the color clouds formations birds and the yeah they would have been using the stars as well and yeah um, and, and using the horizon obviously right you're like trying to suss out yeah what's also nuts is like the british navy were just basically a bunch of scoundrels you know <laughs> sounds like the dutch dutch um he's been decumping yeah yeah they're <laughs> just like we savage people oh when you when you start hearing those stories about the Spanish as well, and like you know, oh, mate. Portuguese, Portuguese, you hear yeah. Spanish, Portuguese, yeah. and then like yeah, I was listening to something around Bitcoin the other day, and and how it can be a currency and all that sort of stuff, and they're talking about you know the the ability of gold to move around the world, how especially yeah. in that time, how expensive and time consuming it was to you know, load up a ship with bullion and get it across to America, and then it's like right, we've got to we've got to settle everything again shove all this shit back it's like so so long for a settlement whereas whereas now like banks are doing sort of the end of month type stuff you know and there is the old day-to-day and instant instant settlement going on but you know then then we talk about bitcoin it's like five minutes and 
the ledger's the ledger's even, and you've got your money, I've got my money, and there's no yeah. bank in between. But that means you're your own bank. So yeah, how's your, how's your, how's your security, mate? <laughs> I know, right? Shit, it's when you look at when you look at gold back in the day, they had a whole bloody military escorting this thing, and a bunch of pirates yeah. hiding hiding out rivers, going to steal it. <laughs> Yeah, you just chuck chuck your gold in, in a wooden chest with a padlock on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you but you had but you had people with guns and cannons escorting it. So muskets. It must be oh you better have one shot. One shot cannon, one shot musket. Like yeah, one shot, one shot, and then you know, it's like yeah, crazy times. I just phenomenal, right? Like just in those years. It would be cool to go back and just to go just to experience it because i reckon if we did take you back you had that capability right mm. to go and experience say a sea voyaging say from the uk to new zealand but i reckon it'd be like i ain't doing that ever again that <laughs> that's then they didn't they didn't like even like when i talked talk to dad you know i was like yeah. about oh did people go down to ohio nightcaps and go mining or anything like that oh people just didn't even leave Dunedin. <laughs> he was like oh, the whole idea of like going going from otago to south you know that, and that's probably why new zealand's such a provincial country for for so long it's because it's like oh shit you know two hours away don't be silly what would i go down there <laughs> right yes right, it's so true right like in McCargill, dunnis oh man uh maybe once every six months <laughs> uh let alone go to christchurch oh mate <laughs> yeah no you're driving oh no i'm not going i'm not keen on that drive i don't want to do it was yeah. it like six hours, right, from McCargill? Was it six? No, nah, no. Nah, it was like, you know, when it was a lot easier to go 110 on the road, you could get you could get there in seven hours, but you now you're looking like nine. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, stuff that. <laughs> nah, man. Fly. Fly. Oh, too right. Too right. Fly. fly. Yeah. Um, you, you said when we did the first podcast, your parents had a lot to do with the development of the Bluff Marae. How close yeah. was that connection between Bluff and Marahuku? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the Murahiku Marae, the one that's now standing, uh, there was a relationship there. And, but it's quite, again, like different pop, you know, different parts of the country, you know, families were entrenched and, um, and Bluff was is unique because uh, it had a population, a Maori population or, um, as part well, part of the Katimamoi, the hapu down there, but they also were part of um, the real Puki Island mm-hmm. as well. But though, and again, but there was, you know, you had Māori on Stewart Island. So, like you there was people over there, but they weren't part of. So it's like, you know, sub. Sub tribes. Sub tribes, or, yeah, families from hapu that were around different parts of Southland and Bluff was unique. So there was a connection with the Mirihiku Marae, um, but when I was growing up, definitely there was you know um relationship with them because they were kind of a bit more advanced they sort of started that process of you know getting the land and then looking at building and so it was i guess for mum and when i was a little kid i think mum and dad and and aunties and so they were they took some of those learnings and lessons and their kaumatu was were probably more established Mm -hmm. and so there's a bit of leaning on them until we got they got um, the ones in the Kamatu and Bluff and that established and up and running. And I guess if you, so there was a relationship there and then we sort of accelerated. And I think a lot of that acceleration was just purely down to 
self-determination and, and a passion and a vision to get that marae up and set up in bluff mm. um, to really establish it because bluff was significant as being sort of one of the first you know areas where settlers were, were based and and that was like in 1780s mm -hmm. uh, that was due to the whaling right whaling yeah. set and access down to the south um so there was a lot of integration with the whalers sealers with, with maori that were living in bluff all around there so that's where you get that whole like the the west Bano, the ryan spencers um the whites you know kind of significant Bano names down on bluff and they all stem from these whalers and sealers that arrived in that era like that late you know 790 1790s to the 1810s mm -hmm. um so they were quite yes yeah, significant area so the marae itself just fast forwarding to that was i think it was a real passion of my grandmother and my grandfather to have something built and established down on bluff yeah because uh, my grandmother was really passionate about te ao maori and tikanga te reo and what and just sharing it and and getting maori you know getting them uplifted because you think like in the 50s you know there's small pockets of really strong maori areas in new zealand but they had diminished right yeah and bluff was bluff i guess had diminished to a stage because of its integration with um settlers and she was really passionate about uplifting it and encouraging and empower, empowering maori so for dad and the sister and his sisters um they pretty much carried that torch for our nan so she passed away quite young and then obviously it was she passed away quite young so it was kind of i think maybe might have been 30 years after her death when they kind of got to that stage where they were building that marae and i guess that marae was built a lot of and an honor to her legacy and mm -hmm. who she was mm -hmm. and what she meant to the family but also what she meant to the people of bluff um and then because she was that gives us that connection um to um Rotorua and um Taro Araha Marae, which is in um Whakarewarewa, is the same as the gifted name to the one the marae and bluff mm. and that's that connection like our nan is center to all of that so i guess it was a family project right it was yeah. a family project um but the family embraced and encouraged everybody else in bluff to get on board because it was a I guess my aunties were real forward thinking. They they it was for Maori, but they wanted to make it a place that was for people of bluff. It was regardless of whether you were Maori or you were Cook Island or European or Irish or whatever, mm -hmm. it was a place that they wanted to um to unify the community with um the sheer the culture, but also the sheer um bluff with people from bluff. Mm -hmm um so it was kind of a i guess i was older i would have kind of understood it a lot more but i was a little young kid running around and, you know snotty nose and <laughs> you know just being a hoha and with my cousins and stuff but yeah you think now the, the effort that dad and mum and, and dad's sisters and their husbands poured into it is phenomenal like yeah. you're going to see a community project 
in the at that time man that is the template right there just pure guts and passion their own money their own school sets their own hours their own pouring into it and then begging in fundraising and getting people on board but i think once the community saw the value and what was being created and built um, they everyone came on board eh? and it was phenomenal and the murahika marae was the i guess the sounding board and then we done the whare nui and then we i mean sorry the whare kai first then we did the whare nui which was done and t- opened in 2000 and, no in the 2005 mm-hmm. yeah so yeah it's taken a long time because it's not, not like they went to the bank and said hey can we buy a million dollars to get this done um and so it's they really worked hard to try and make sure there was as little debt associated with the build as possible mm-hmm. uh, and it was cool being a kid growing up around it eh? you know Mom, yeah. I, I remember it was just like kids would just be at home because mum and dad are over over at a at the marae at meetings at fundraising going up to murihuku marae for hui's with kaumatua and then coming back and Mm. it was it was kind of special when you think about it now as an adult right as someone would want to gift to your own kids yeah yeah i was quite lucky at st joseph's (laughs) again i don't know why te tomarangi was set up at st joseph's but i guess it gave the the small sort of catholic population of maori and invercargill a place to meet Mm. at and and their children to go to kohangareo and and all that sort of stuff but yeah Mm. that was that was also like you know something that i look back on and go shit that was pretty lucky that in our school grounds you know we had a basilica we had a co- convent and we had a marae and, and then our primary school like it was, it was amazing yeah that's cool that's wicked and um i think you think of like invercargill and or southland in general right it's you know we grew up down there and we know what it's like and but it, it gets such a you know bad rap mm. people give it a like real you know a proper decent nudge that like oh it's a bunch of hillbillies and uh <laughs> or you you know you roll your ass or ask it but when i was a kid man i actually loved living down there you know would i want to live in auckland when i was a kid if you know or probably not because i really enjoyed the people that i was growing up with yeah i had fun i had really good friendships um and I kind of like the fact that South and we were always underdogs, right? <laughs> really, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, cool, we're underdogs. Yep, yeah, you go and play Canary or whatever. And um, yeah, sometimes it was a downfall, eh? Because you'd you'd be the you'd be a big fish in a small pond, and, and you'd you know play the other school and win, and go, all right, we're the best in South, and then you go go away to uh, you know inter school or, or even a provincial competition, and you get, and occasionally get whooped, and you go, oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh, shit. Uh, they're pretty good, eh, those guys? <laughs> um, what are they doing? They're just yeah. more competition. <laughs> more, I, was, more. I was really, I think I was fortunate when I, um, when I was a young fellow, I played, you know, under 16s rugby and that for Southland. And, Did you uh, play softball? Yeah, uh, softball was my big sport. That was the sport I really loved. Like, um, summertime, right? It was, yeah. And Southland was actually exceptionally really good at soccer. Yeah. Um, through all the grades, right mm. up to uh, seniors. Um, and they had a number of um, New Zealand reps, right, down in Southland. And I remember, like, Cardinals and Demons used to play in the National League. Mm. And 
they'll be right up there. They'll be going toe to toe with like Hut, Hut Valley, yeah. and Saints, and and like big time, you know, f- uh, softball teams, right? And I think Southland had a couple of New Zealand reps. I know, I know they had a couple of pitchers that played for New Zealand, and but yeah, that was softball was big down there. Yeah. Well, right. you can roll up to Canterbury and Otago, and you go, Otago, you always knew, oh, yeah, we'll toes these guys up. They're no good at softball. <laughs> go to Canterbury, and they're the ones you wanted to tip over. But to be fair, I think we tipped them over more times than they tipped us over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we had a pretty, we're a pretty good crew of, crew of people down there that were pretty gunny at softball. Because eh? yeah, they're a pretty big softball park at Ardenoe up in Christchurch. Yeah, and yeah. it used to be the hut. Hut boys were the ones that the ones you always go head to head to the nationals. Like, yeah, they're the ones you're going to beat. You kind of had a thing like, yeah, you, you can pretty much beat most of the other teams, but it's Hut. Yep. But like, they're the, they were the ones, like, they were the top dogs. <laughs> like, they just seemed to produce softballers, like, just yeah, crazy, crazy um, ability. And um, we used to tangle with them a bit. So I think we were kind of like always in the top four yep. um, nationally going through the ranks and age grades um which is you think like damn southland how the hell do they get bloody softballers but i don't know maybe we just like bashing shit over the fence <laughs> <laughs> throwing 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 stones and you know well, transfer, yeah, no, probably, trans, probably, transfers to throwing a softball from the yeah, outfield throwing stones mate <laughs> there's so many people down there had like just gun arms like, <laughs> yeah. they just you can, They'll be hurling softballs back in like 30, 40 meters into the catcher's mitts. Boom. Yep. No bounce, just straight back, straight in the air. It was, yeah, it was, it was good times. I enjoyed it down there and, and growing up. And um, there's so many cool people have transcended out of, of Southland, you mm. know, that have done, you know, amazingly well internationally and nationally. And, you, you know, it's, it was a good place, man. It was a good place to chill out, grow up, um, learn some life lessons. Yeah, bro. Yeah. yeah. Hey, your podcast with your dad was bloody awesome, mate. <laughs> it was, he was so cool, man. I was like, shit. He, I thought, he's exactly the same as he was when he was my teacher at school. <laughs> yeah, it, like, was, it was classic. We'd, uh, like, yeah. oh, I, I'd said to Nicole during the week, I was like, I'm going to do a podcast with dad. And then it was kind of like Friday night, or no, Thursday night, they got here and, you know, put the kids to bed and things like that and just ended up yarning. Then Friday night, we're just, again, yarning. And then Saturday night, I was like, oh, I'll do it up. I think, I think the girls took a bit of getting to bed, so that was that. And mum and dad had, had bought a couple of bottles of wine, so we'd, we got through a couple of bottles of wine together. Like, oh, I can't do that. And then, so then Nicole took off early on the Sunday morning and I just basically said to him, I was like, oh, would, do you want to do a podcast, dad? And he said, I want to go talk to me about it. Like, Come on. And then he just like whoops out his phone with Mother's Day, rings his mum, and I'm like, oh, there's that. So while he was doing that, I set up the gear. Yeah. And then we sort of finished talking inside here and I said, right, hey, come come do this podcast. And he's like, oh, okay. He just like reluctantly did it. And yeah. Think, thankfully, it started started with the, the loosener of the of the moustache question and <laughs> went, from, went from there. But yeah. yeah no, it's, it's pretty both both sides of the equation it's pretty nerve nerve-wracking like you know as you can imagine if it was your, your teacher for in rugby coach for five years you'd be a bit nervy but when it's your dad as well golly <laughs> yeah, yeah. but extra pressure eh yeah but, and like my, my both my brothers did rowing so dad coached coached them in rowing so you know they've, they've got that sort of relationship with him whereas i was a bit more of a rowing orphan i you know was playing football and water polo and 
for a while there. I was swimming as well. We used to drop me off to swim in before you go out to the river. But yeah, I, I sort of never never really had direct coaching from dad. I had the you know the old word sage word of advice every now and again. But um, yeah, whereas my brothers they they had that experience of him being their coach. But yeah, yeah. But, nice, but it must be nice though. Eh? Nice for you just to to have have a yarn with your dad like in that in this format. You know what I mean? Just yeah. Like, well, and also like talk. Because, like I said, we know a lot about my mum's granddad side of the family, and and to sort of like his granddad that he that he spoke about, they sort of grew up with. They mm. don't they don't really know too much about him. Just that he like his parents died when he was pretty young, like eleven, and he was in Miller's flat. And I guess that was a similar situation. Well, we can't stay here. We'll, we'll mm. go to the big big smoke internet and get a job doing something. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm strong and capable. Probably probably not the most educated, um, and I'll. And I'll just rip into it and, and make make something of myself, you know. Yeah, that was champion. That, I mean, that's a, and that was like that for a lot of people down south, right? Yeah, so kind of. You just rip into. It. I'm sure. Um, dad's um, mum's dad was, was he was he used to climb mountains and stuff like yeah. as you do. as you do, <laughs> <laughs> like just climb mountains and then um, you know, and then I think he just he moved in he was uh like a salesman he, he moved into that but and i was kind of like kind of he passed away but i never got to meet him he passed away because he he got cancer in it but um i just couldn't imagine how could this mountaineer be the salesman because <laughs> it's just kind of weird but mum's he just he just did it because he had to because it was to bring money in but yeah. his real passion for outdoors and yeah, it's so mountains up in bloody the alps you know yeah yeah, mum, mum's dad like he used to love love going fishing and stuff, and rode a motorbike and things. And so he got a sort of a farm job for a while there because uh, he was too young to go to the Second World War, and he's sort of working away on the farm. And then of course they all came back from the war and got properties balloted up, and he's like, oh shit, I'm not going to be able to afford to buy a farm. So then he went back and worked for his dad as a dental technician in, in town, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like you know chalk and chalk and cheese of yeah. of, of jobs. It's like didn't I see you bloody cheering sheep and out at the, the beach traces on your motorbike there mate yeah yeah do you want some ditches or not <laughs> yeah. Man, it's so, so adaptable right like the, that generation like yeah. think like compared to say us today and the the generation that is that's after us and and next like you just it's... we're so dependable way eh? oh, dependent <laughs> sorry not dependable dependent <laughs> it would be like just going side-eyeing just kind of what you're, you're leaving you know maybe the opposite like your dentist oh i'm not going to come a farmer now yeah you're like, what the hell are you it's like but it's it's but not it's, it's, it is what i want to do though that when, when the kids say to me oh i want to be a farmer when i grow up i go yeah me too <laughs> yeah, yeah i know right um i do like i said to my wife we both kind of like well we'd love to if we could at some stages like move out of the city and just live you know coast like coastline yeah. and not in a big city and you know and that's kind of like oh that'd be i said i think that's a goal for lots of people yeah. <laughs> but if we could that'd be perfect and mate you you'd know. be talking to justin amor too too much you know um, living the dream in waikana he's got the mountains behind him and the calm wine on his door isn't he mate he's living the dream and um and then he's got his boat down in tawa and he just put, puts across the across the strait to the marlborough sounds and and it's no and it's no wee boat Let's oh, be it's ama- i've stayed on it it's amazing yeah so you keep saying like oh if i'm down like come out take you out fishing jump on the boat so i, I mean i'm down in wellies i do need to touch base when i'm down there next um 
have you seen any of his new episodes uh the last one i watched he kayaked around um Kapiti island and he got got permission and apologized profusely if the permission he got it from was wrong to stay on <laughs> to stay on that small small yeah. island <laughs> yeah yeah so i think he's got a couple of new videos up on youtube so i awesome. uh, catch up but he's good he's a good man right far out man he's he's got some passion for life and and some more energy and I love his, his insights, right? Insights yeah. to um, how how he lives his life, and 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 how you could, if you wanted to, you know, pursue life. Maybe you want, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's crushing it, man. He's crushing it. He's a bloody, but he, I think I'm sure he's doing. Didn't he, didn't he say to you he's going to do like a, a, a marathon and and. Yeah just ridiculous shit like yeah you're, you're doing ridiculous shit this stefan what are you up to in the 90s now 190s 190 191 191 yeah it's funny i was thinking about that to, oh no the other day and it, this is really fun i don't know i'm interested in your thoughts on this um because uh, i just now just like the day instead of like what the target is yeah and how, how long is it now november so you're into yeah. like seven months eh? think so yeah. yeah um so, yeah, so when i when i trained for that ultra marathon that was six months worth and it, yeah. was, getting, it was getting pretty tedious <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's um i was thinking i said the other day to you right like um is there such a thing as fatigue vibe yeah yeah <laughs> um and yeah i don't know i i when i changed it from you know, I had the targets 100 and whatever of 100 and whatever. And I just dropped that and I just do the days now day, like today's day 191. Um, I don't know. It's whether that's just pressure or weight off because it's just like every day now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not looking at or saying like, oh, I'm going for this amount of days yeah. and, get it and then reset. It's like, oh no, I'll just, I'll drop that. I won't reset it. I'll just go and keep going and then say i've reached the mark that i engineered but it's it's um i don't know i've just got so used to doing it that it's i think that it's not monotonous it's just i would miss not doing it mm-hmm. like yeah. because it's become such an important facet of my day and life and it and i to be fair i do feel really really good um, throughout the rest of the day once I've completed it yeah, yeah and it really sets me up and I think if I stopped or if I changed the not the routine but if I stopped I would miss that I definitely would miss that aspect of starting the day yeah I am by my, by myself it's 5 a.m in the morning it's just me it's darkness it's whatever rain and birds and stuff like that there's not many people up and about but that period of solace and ability just to i guess be myself but i'm not taking away any of my time from anybody else mm-hmm. it's, yeah it's, it's, it's quite fulfilling if i'm being philosophical about it and it's but i enjoy it i do enjoy it I, i'd miss it bro yeah. i'd miss it but i'd be interested in what what your thoughts are on that then oh mate like even even in the in the micro they you know finishing working here in tokoroa and, and taking two days for myself to go bush it was just like you know no expectation of things i just 
went on went on two really awesome loops mm. in the bush and like you know the new place new you know just to explore you know have a have a general idea of the place and and sort of follow follow different trails and go yeah that's that's cool like it would have would have been beautiful to see a bloody animal but you know yeah. the birds in the place are just awesome and then like um transitioning the what getting up time to going down to toport it was mm. sort of I for forwent my um, going into the garage there for a little for the last week, and then this week I've sort of added it going in there, and, and you know it's I'm still not fully back to when I'm going to be getting up while I'm commuting, but yeah, getting getting there. So now I've got sort of five, no, ten or fifteen minutes to do to a little bit of workout, and mm. like just doing that, you're like holy cow, that's so energizing to mm. move around, lift some weight, you know, raise the heart rate a little bit, get some heat in the system. Um, and then yeah, you like get get to now, you know, eight, what are we, ten to nine or so, and you're like, wow, that's yeah, I've lasted a day. It's it's awesome, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. and whereas without it, you go, oh, you know, mm, you just get that oh feeling, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's pretty yeah. amazing, but yeah, and like like I said, um, you were talking about that fatigue feeling by the end of the six months of doing the ultra it was pretty tedious and mm-hmm. when i finished and dad's going would you do it again i'm like well probably not and then like two days later you're like oh i feel like going for a run unfortunately my knee yeah. was absolutely cucked but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so i couldn't run i i did try to go for a run and i think i got like a k or two k's down the road and i was like nope we need to stop um, <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it is i'm surprised that my body is held together yeah <laughs> um Oh, I, the, the training aspect was fine, but doing the doing the fifty four gaze up and down the Banks Peninsula that that really got ruined my knee. Whereas training was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that would be that would be brutal, man. Fifty four gaze <laughs> up there, that's that is brutal. Um, uh, yeah, and it's funny because um, yeah, oh, my body's kind of. I get these. I I know where I, my body's like. There's certain pain parts which is one bung shoulder to the knee but I, I just maintaining it and just mm. and then i just kind of keep going and um, i haven't had this urge at all to go like man i'm too sore or feel broken that i can't do it anymore mm-hmm. and I, I think i'm just and maybe that's a lot to do with um you know the i guess the physical nature and that sort of repetitiveness that you've built resilience and strength in your body but i think there's a lot has got to do with, I guess, the strength and the resilience I've built in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I guess the kaupapa behind why I'm doing it and um, and where I want to go with it. And I guess I've reached a stage where it's kind of like, you know, oh, shit, it's done that many days. Oh, yeah, I don't even, sometimes I don't even think of, like, how many days I've done. Mm. It's, well, I don't even... I couldn't even tell you off the bat of the top of my head like how many reps like in, in that scheme yeah. it is that now I, I couldn't even rattle that off and I, I don't I don't think that's a kind of a it's not a real thing for me mm. like they go like oh guess what Ryan I've done 27,000 <laughs> or something I don't know yeah. um but it's but, the same like with, with people that do do ultra ultra running seriously you know like yeah the the because even in that six month time, it was kind of like, you know, to have a half marathon run be a normal thing is just such a bizarre concept. It's even now, like having trained that way, 
and yeah. now you know year and a half on being like man i used to run a half marathon in the morning like that's yeah. that's so weird <laughs> how was that um it's weird again <laughs> training brother like how was the did you get a program specifically designed from someone who'd done pretty generic or... yeah it was a generic six month program and yeah oh, just, it? yeah yeah it's just kind google, of like, it. google it look at oh you still don't do that oh my, my mate how helen waterworth she gave it to me and i think she got oh, yeah. it from from her mate um oh, i can't think of her name but yeah another firefighter up there in Whangarei. and yeah the two of them it was that was a good thing for them the two of them sort of train together and do these ridiculous runs and you know find find routes that that are long enough to run a trail but yeah, yeah who just kind of like just did it and just each week tick it off and each yeah, yeah. week it gets longer and longer and you're like oh, wow this is amazing but yeah how, were you training like how what was the frequency of training uh so yeah it started off with two short or oh, shortish runs and a long run and then it started being three uh no two two shortish a long run and then a recovery run so you're running four times a week and then i was training the other days yeah. and i must have had some various form of rest in there but i think most days i was doing something yeah, yeah, yeah. so i was doing a lot of knees avatos program in the gym oh, yeah. yeah just yeah it, it it helped a lot but yeah there was there was you know biomechanically i probably wasn't the best the best when it came to running like i did re really well all the way to the top of mount herbert um which sort of sits above um the littleton harbour and then we came down that and that was especially when we came off the top it got quite steep for a good chunk of distance and i think that just really locked me up and and probably by then i was fatigued and enough muscles that i started using the wrong muscles and you know got that sort of itb tension and and oh, tension yeah. in the hips and then started to turn into patella tendonitis and so yeah by the time i got to what um Giddy's Pass, I think that's what it's called, Giddy's Pass, which goes down to um, Taitapu. Um, and you saw mum and dad, and then you had to run up and out of the outer banks and banks peninsula and run around the face to get out down to Hallswell. By that stage, it was, it was brutal. It was kind of like run a bit, walk a bit, run a bit, walk a bit, run a bit, walk a bit. And um, yeah. yeah, then we had to drop down this hill into the finish at Hallswell Quarry, and yeah, that was painful. I was crying. It was like, oof. Plus, plus all the like delusional emotion comes over you when you yeah when you, when you do do a journey like that you know yeah a bit yeah. how'd you how'd you what were the tools what tools did you use to sort of to push yourself uh, oh, tools tools um i especially with running i could easily <laughs> that's where being quite good geographically helps i could like segment runs really really well like that's to the air that's to the air that's to the air um and so like running around hawks bay so some of the runs i'd do i'd run up to the top of tomato peak down all the way out to um the road that goes out to the beach over red breach around the tukituki and then to clive and then back home to havelock north so yeah it was a reasonably covered some ground on foot <laughs> and, and hawks bay got to got to know those roads pretty intimately yeah. And then you're just cruising around the roads around Havelock and Clive and um, never ran in, into Hastings, but yeah, ran out sort of that farmland, semi-rural semi yeah. part of Hawke's Bay. And yeah, it was, I don't know. And when things hurt, 
Tony Dodds, who's gone to the Olympics and things and World Triathlon Championships, um, he had done an ultra a couple of months or a month earlier or something, and he rode at the end of the like that was brutal. They ran up, literally ran up one spur across the top and then back down it, and he said like that was brutal and painful, but it never got. It was always painful in it, but it never got more painful. So I just sort of had that in my head that like if it was sore, just yeah. keep going. It's not gonna it's not gonna get worse, but it's just gonna keep hurting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I had those two things in there. And Kane Briscoe had said, like, you'll pass the finish line one way or the other. That was the other thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 That sounds like Kano, man. He's got, yeah. he's, got a, he's got a belly full of really smart philosophical outputs, man, that dude. Yeah. Uh, um, so I was talking to a mate of mine on a party a couple of weeks ago, um, Chaz. Mm-hmm. And he um, does these crazy ass um ultra difficult things he just comes up with them or he does it for a charity charitable cause or he just does it for the hell of just oh, i'm just gonna do it i feel like doing it today um you know he was telling me about um he had an exam he had an exam at uni his final a final exam at uni and and he thought a couple of days earlier he just thought oh well, i might just run a marathon um, just a thought, and then he'd done his final exam presentation, and then uh, he went home or he had his gear with him, chucked on his running shoes, and just ran a marathon nice. around the streets of Mount Monganui. Ever <laughs> <laughs> with, and he had one banana and a Gatorade, <laughs> and it was he said it was steaming hot, yeah. and he decided to run like Forrest Gump styles. He ran a marathon, so he just ran and ran, no designated area like this i'm gonna go mark out run around here he ran around and ran and then he was like and then he just went once it reached it's on his watch the marathon he just stopped <laughs> literally just stopped i'm gonna then, go home now yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he said his, his um, partner ran with him for the last sort of five k's or so and then he because he got home and then crawled into the shower <laughs> and then like he just in recovery position yeah. And um, and he'd already trained in the morning at the CrossFit, so he'd done this trained that then and then he's I think a couple of days later, no, after a couple of hours, had after in a recovery position, got himself um, sorted out, dressed and dressed up and went out out on the town. Far out. It just but he just you know and it's just like maybe just different people way eh, of different ways of just dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of adverse events, and as you mentioned, like you, you mean to run a fifty-four ultra. Of one, I couldn't think of doing it, but then I didn't think I would do Murph for more than thirty days. Yeah, and do it, and so you you kind of what do you think? Do you think you're built? You you learn it, or you're built? You you're built grit, or you learn grit, or you just you built it. And you're also learning and you just apply it on top of what you already have inside of you. Yeah, I've got, you know, a bit like you, I've got a pretty big, long training age. So like eight was when I started really going for it and swimming. So, mm. you know, there's there's probably that, you know, I've got a lot of wins under my belt when it comes to training. But mm. I don't know, I definitely learn, learn a lot about myself doing that as well. So yeah, it's a bit of both, a bit of both. you got to yeah. got to get that momentum. Yeah. 
you gotta get reps right you just yeah. get reps up and i think mentally right I, maybe southland does a build different <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we'll claim that it's all it's all that southland it? no. it's so cold you know you, still, <laughs> you don't have the flash of stuff so you just got to go and do gotta it go with it just gotta go you with just it gotta go and do it and then you know, you don't have the mean as Adidas gears like the other provinces have. So maybe, you... maybe that's why I love the Adidas gears so much now, because it, because it wasn't that. <laughs> Wait, was it Lenko or something down south? Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad, Dad actually. Uh, it's funny because Dad uh, organised that those Lenko shirts, and then um, Max's old man actually used to work for them. I was like, oh, that's oh, hilarious. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah small small wee business based in south Auckland. Yeah, yeah that was good hey um i should ask you something though. anyway how's um how's the new mahi yeah that's what i was going to get to i was going to say slightly non-sequitur <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, you know, a little bit of resilience of things going on no, i'm not sure no bloody bloody good man and um like i was messaging last night i went along to old glenn davies mm. talk last night he's there every wednesday talking about the ketogenic diet and diabetes reversal yeah. and i sort of said to him it was like from tokoroa where we'd have um you know i think twice we reached 49 people in a day uh, i think the lowest day we had was 41 between 41 and 49 people and i'd ask every single one of them what's your hba1c and they look at me dumbfounded and i think i'd at most i'd get two people know what it is and be able to tell me what it is hmm. and, and like you know maybe a third that if i probed them a little bit longer they'd try figuring out and give me a best guess best case scenario type stuff to then moving to topo and so far the majority of people who have known it today i had someone that was in a different medical practice that didn't know it um and yeah so i'd seen some of the inverted commas more educated ones can uh up until now but here today i had a little bit of a different experience with that but it's still okay at least at least when you have that little bit of education in, in the community and someone to point to then as the optometrist it kind of gives and they're hearing these things for the first time like diabetes reversal and hba1c it kind of gives me a grounding that hey you know, when he spoke to you, he'd, I think he'd reversed about 127 people, and yeah, as of yesterday, he'd reversed to 138, and it was it was bloody hilarious as well because we were, he had was talking about um, keto meals, and then we were sort of talking about afterwards, and I sort of brought up Mickey Willardin's name, and then he's like, oh yeah, that's Mickey's husband James is makes these keto meals and tamari, and yeah. I was like talking about you. And yeah. then he's like, oh, Garrison, yeah, I've been on that podcast. Oh, we went on the podcast after Tarpity. And I was like, oh, that Tarpity. Yeah. <laughs> and, he was, and he was just saying about it. Like, he's like, oh, Tarpity's amazing. He's like, it just, it's one of those people that can be like, oh, yeah, I know them. I could, I, it's the most beautiful network. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was quite funny because we, we were sort of saying about how much of it is, a, it is this lottery of, of, um, medical knowledge you know and medical education medical literacy you know where you know I'm, I'm commuting this 45 minutes every day and the difference in that 45 minutes of highway is outrageous and me as a optometrist in Tokoroa I'd have people from Mangakino and I'd have to refer them to Rotorua which is from Tokoroa only 45 minutes away but 
all my patients from Tokurod have to refer to Hamilton, which is an hour and a half away. And mm. and it's like I can I I'm more sympathetic to this whole centralized healthcare all of a sudden having this experience. And that's coming from Southland where you've got a brand new hospital, but a lot of the consultants are based in Dunedin. Hmm. And living in Hawke's Bay where you've got an old falling down hospital, but lots of awesome consultants because it's a great place to live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and like, so that, that's easy on the general side of things, but what, you know, in your job, before we got started, you said, oh, I've got mental, I've got uh, public health fatigue. Yeah. Just, just, just as well, you're doing Murph to, to um, balance your life out. What can you give us an insight into some histories, you know, back back with your history hat on, and some challenges that why we need this Māori ward of of public health? Mm. Yeah, uh, and is it is it going to be two of those? Is that right? So they're setting up the. Um, Māori Health Authority, and then obviously the um, Health NZs, yeah. which is the overarching one, which is the removal of the DHBs as a functioning sort of entity, which is downsizing the boards. Yeah. So I think there's twenty, there was twenty four, something like that. Um, so just one board, mm. you know. So imagine the money you're saving there and the remuneration right there. Mm. Um, and then the Māori Health Authority, then also the National Public Health Services. It's coming in so there's there's three that are coming in at once so you have the um, national health you have the multi health authority and then you've got um, national public health service so generally you have like you had the dhbs you had phus and mm -hmm. public health units were regionally based right so you'd have public health unit waikato hawks bay taranaki you know tamaki makoto northland so forth and so forth um, so they've come under one leadership model, the same with the DHBs now come under one national leadership model. Um, the Māori Health Authority has come out of the, obviously, it's pretty, it's basically come out um, around um, health equity and mm -hmm. the led Māori health outcomes. And they've had Māori teams obviously built into the DHB and, you know, most PHUs they've been relatively really small and then you, you relied on you know um, primary care and providers out there to support um, care needs and stuff in the, the community so the Māori Health Authority has been funded um, centrally from government so they'll have their own fund pool of money to do the mahi that needs to be done in the Māori communities uh, and oversee you know, the um, health care, because it's all about bending the statistics, which really point to um, majority of poor health statistics are held by Māori. That's not a record anyone wants to have. And there has to be a better way of servicing them and getting them uplifted and better care. And that's a real simplistic way of looking at it, but there's a whole heap of things that need to be done and built and um bettered and that's around access to really mm. good health service um making that available for every community like Mangakino or Tokoroa or you know um Ruapehu to um Patea. you mm. know they should all have that that opportunity to get the best care that's a, that's out there and that's available um but also has to build up relationships with the iwi 
um, in the area. So they're setting up iwi health boards. So there's a there's a relationship with the iwi health boards. Um, so they can also facilitate and co-lead and be a part of the Paora Health Bill, which has gone through its third sitting and will probably should be ratified and legit, uh, built into legislation um, relatively soon because everything kicks off on the 1st of July. Oh, well, um, not far away. Not far away at all. So it's a massive, massive shift for New Zealand in regards to having a centralised model. Obviously, the DHBs came out of these, you know, as part of decentralization. Now you're going back to a centralized model. Um, but the Māori Health Authority is the big difference. Like that's nothing has existed prior um, in that space at all. So it would give them the opportunity to focus on certain areas that we, you know, we can have um, the opportunity to change. And not only people's, because changing people's lives immediately is potentially that's not that's not on the cards because it's it's going to take time to mm. embed things properly to ensure that um ryan the optometrist in taupo is has that ability to service maori as well as european as well as whoever at the same level of need that's required for them mm. um yeah there's a lot of stuff that needs to be changed and assisted in that like embedding tetiriti, um, embedding shared equity, ensuring that Māori have, it's about getting access to health services because we just, we don't have the um, practitioners. We mm. don't have, you know, we don't have 200 Māori GPs. We don't have, you know, um, you know, 2,000 Maori nurses and then you know a thousand nurse practitioners yeah yeah so we need you know you've got to, we've got to try and build they have to try and build or they want to try and build the Maori workforce in the health sector mm -hmm. we don't want Maori to just think of becoming a HCA that you know H H HCA like a healthcare system you yeah, know right. yeah yeah you know potentially you know let's help you become a nurse let's help you become a public health nurse let's help you become a district health let's help you you want to be a doctor okay let's help you on that trajectory do you want to be you know pharmacist do you want to be you know there's a there's a massive amount of work that needs to be done in the workforce space as well very very underrepresented in optometry oh yeah i'd imagine i don't know anyone it's like dentistry like i think i know a couple of maori dentists dentists mm. yeah my good my good friend jacob Bedenfield. uh is Māori, his wife is, is Māori, um, yeah. but you wouldn't know it. And um, a dentist, <laughs> no, optometrist. Uh, oh, oh, well, look at uh, who's who's in Auckland. Um, again, one of Tamari's links. Uh, that guy knows he knows 4.5 million people, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, the, the one in, in oh, geez, I nearly had it. The one in Newmarket, anyway, she's she's Māori. Uh, oh, oh, true. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit like that. Rear his hen's teeth, you know. I'm talking yeah, yeah. pretty, pretty rare people oh, anyway. But... <laughs> oh shit! Like, oh wow, can't believe it. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it, it is really trying to, you know, we're looking at 180 years or 80 plus years of, you know, poor health outcomes for Maori since colonization or since settlement, and it's just not it just 
you know it's got worse and worse and worse and worse and plus there is a there is a school of thought and a, a and a one that i can't i believe in and the um you know there has to be you know uh tell maori a hauora aspect built into healthcare for maori as well mm-hmm. um but also so what, what, what's under underlying that what's what sort of foundational to achieving that i think it's getting that recognition right so because if you it's funny if you talk to glenn he has a very you know a really good understanding of that now from his work that he's done with type 2 diabetes and tamati norman does um as well and there's quite a few others and obviously there's practitioners out there gps and doctors also that have um a, a wider world view in regards to healthcare because healthcare shouldn't just be you know about this one viewpoint which is a very generic you know you got, you got this disease here's this medication yeah yeah where there is potentially there could be um uh, a better way of dealing with that disease with you know utilizing some of the natural resources that we have mm. um and I think, you know, you, you're not only seeing it in New Zealand, but right, you're seeing it in other parts of the world where people are looking at, hey, let's utilize um, nature and what nature has given and potentially what our, uh, you know, our, our ancestors, our indigenous populations have been doing for a thousand years, you know, whether that's, here's a, I'll just use this real, a real poor example, here's a plant which may relieve pain better than you taking paracetamol or mm-hmm some other ibuprofen or something along those lines there's a natural resource that's here that can do that and i'm not saying that it'll work for everyone but it, it could work for a lot of people um i think the wellness and mind you know the mental fitness stuff is a, is a massive part and i think there's an opportunity for indigenous um mental fitness and wellness to play a massive massive part and sort of helping um healing and better understanding and growth in individuals yeah. uh, instead of prescribed medication or going to see you know nothing against seeing a you know psychologist or therapist or practitioner but there's potentially these great healers of the Maori community that have done great things for a lot of people which are really undercover unless you know who they are mm. um, um so, do you think a little, a little bit of this sort of um, <clears throat> mental, mental health and mental burden and and not taking the step, you know, going, going back to university days and, and your work in universities, that sort of taking the step to go to university, taking that step to believe that you could be a doctor, you know, if, if, that, if that's the hierarchy you want to, you want to put you know, on a pedestal. But, like, part of that is... It, accepting your culture and accepting who you are and having that connection to identity that and and then being the leader you know you're a leader of your people and and creating legacy in your people again yeah it's a bloody that's a good question that's a podcast question on its own (laughs) Um, yeah i think it's different for everybody like you know being a leader for your people comes i think that that never comes for some people yeah i think we have to accept that um and for some people it comes later on in life and for others it's it's deeply ingrained because they've had they've got some foresight or understanding and passion which they've either been part of 
their community or their whānau or their environment at home or they've picked it up themselves and they're driving it forward. Um, uh, it's a, and it's challenging too, to be really fair, it's challenging to be, to be a leader or to be a leader in your community or want to be a leader in your community or be seen as that. And I think mm-hmm. it's, um, I think well, the I'm, best leaders are the ones who, who the, the, by their actions and what they do and how they interact, that shows leadership and that creates that ability to, for them to grow and then for other people to see um, that growth in you. And that's, becomes reflective on them and then they will follow a similar pathway or listen to your um where you've gone and what you're trying to achieve i mean it's yeah oh man that's a big question man that's a, honestly that's a yeah. two, on on, two, a, on a different level on a different level I'm, I'm like thinking um about the sort of generational traumas that have gone yeah you know, in the past oh. like, like you know for, for example 1950s people yeah. europeanizing their names not speaking yeah. to their Māori, mm. that sort of stuff. So having essentially being shamed out of their culture yeah. to, to then now in 2022, try and find that pride in your culture when your grandparent had it shamed out of them, your parents mm. weren't brought up in that with that culture, and then you're trying to refind that, that culture, cultural yeah. link, um, basically in order to have pride in who you are and where you've come from and, and what, you know, what you're about and who you are as a being to then, you know, have that self-worth in a society that, that quashed it basically. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hun, yeah. I get where you're coming from. And I, and I've, I guess I've traveled that journey um, myself and I know many, many others have traveled it. Um, and there's many pathways to, to achieving that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and is is there burning desire to correct what's done or to write or to right the wrongs of the past and and myself? So speaking for myself, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like in regards to like seeing what you know, hearing what my dad and my aunties and that went through, but. I guess I was really fortunate because they had that fire into mm. in them to maintain that dignity um, yep. in regards to their identity and where they're from. Was my dad, and this is to be a really fair and transparent man, it was my dad an awesome um, facilitator and educator of tikanga and te reo Māori to his kids? No, he mm. wasn't. Um, but now, 100%, he re- I know that he regrets that deeply in him. Uh, and that's something that, you know, that was a an era and a time where he thought that was best for us. Mm. Uh, but now, he, you know, but I'm really grateful he's still alive and he's got all this knowledge and this ability. And I know that he, he's, he's, um, he's a better dad <laughs> now than he was then, but that's, that's, that's okay. But for me, yeah, seeing that and being a part of it and look, I'm not like, I'm not like, I'm a fair skinned Māori. Mm. So that kind of gave me some protection. Mm. Some of the, some of the, 
um, racism or the being signaled out um, for being Māori that other people that I knew that occurred with. Mm. One, I don't have a, a tupuna name. I've got very, you know, French first name and an English or Scottish surname. Mm. So, you know, again, there's some cover. I wish I had a tupuna name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, you know, mum and dad made a, their choice and, you know, that that's okay. You know, that's the choice they made at those times. You know, I can't question it. That was them as adults making it what they thought was the best thing at that moment. And, um, but yeah, I've definitely wanted to, to be a voice for Māori and education. And, and when I, before I moved into public health and to do things differently, there was massive challenges in doing that. Um, I probably moving into public health has given me a deep insight and understanding in regards to the incredible damage that has occurred in Māori communities and society since um, colonization. Um, incredibly sad to see statistics which show incredible high incarceration rates, um, mental health, alcoholism, drug use, you know, um, type 2 diabetes, rheumatic fever, you know, the, the, we're pro- and I said to someone when I first moved in the house, I said, I can't believe it. You know, no, we are at the wrong end. We're at the wrong end of stats. We prop up every stat there mm. is. And do you want to see change in that? Yeah. Has it taken them so long to sort of reach that area of where they go, recognition, realization that, for fuck's sake, man, we have not looked after the indigenous population in this country the best way that we possibly could have? Mm. Um, but I do also recognize that I'm in a privileged position because I went to university and I've had good jobs. So I've, I've had that ability to access good healthcare mm. for me. And so is my whanau. Yep. There's many others that I know. But there's a lot of people out there that haven't had that ability to access um, really good health care. And, um, and that's you know there's no way that a country the size of new zealand should have that happening to the indigenous population here where you have people in your social deprived areas um who are suffering all the social determinants that exist that you can measure anything on they're right at the tip of that on every single one and you've just seen very little support or mechanisms thrown at them that's going to uplift them and empower them them out of those situations and like health is attached to housing right and housing is attached to employment employment is attached to education and if you're at the fucking shitty end of all of those Mm. you're never going to be in the right space to be seen as we have an equal equitable standing with other people in new zealand Mm. Um, Heaps of resentment and anger out there within the community for the way things have transpired for them. And and I'm not, I'm also well aware you make choices in your life to go down a certain pathway. Um, But I also don't want to diminish the fact that some of the pathways chosen by some of my people um, were pathways that 
were the only ones there that were available for them to walk down as well. <clears throat> and that's been forced upon them. Others have made the choice to go down there. You know, mm. that's on them. But there's a fair proportion of people that have, that is the only pathway that's there in front of them. So they just, they go down that pathway. Um, there's a whole raft of stuff behind. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping that what I'm doing and what I'm achieving and what I hope to achieve and, and whatever little impact and footprint that I leave is one that's really, really positive and transformative for my people, not tomorrow, but well in the future for our kids and then for my kids' kids. Mm. Um, we can, if I can play a part, a small part, a bit part and 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 um empowering or influencing positive change within the space that i'm working in then man that's a that'll be a wicked legacy to leave behind for someone else to pick up that baton and then just keep going forward with it so yeah absolutely I'm really passionate about it it's really sad that it's 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 a much it can get super emotional bro because you can go like go you just know kind of like you see how successive governments but how bureaucrats and then people have treated people and it's like when the fuck did it become okay to treat another human based on because they're from a they're from a different ethnic group than you like a piece of shit when did that become a good thing to do and and, and anyone thought that was awesome let's mm -hmm. just keep doing it and then we just build layers and layers and layers, which then creates these knock-on traumatic um, social, but also individual and whānau-based effects within them that they just see it as like, you're just pushing down on us all the time. So they're super resistant. Not A lot of people are super resistant to um, officials, government, um, authority, and I can see, you know, why I'm like, I never got to experience that. Mm. Um, when I was a kid, but when I left, I went to uni, I never got to really experience it. But I'm seeing now in the sector, you know, institutionalized racism is fucking rife. Mm -hmm. um, the number of people that are in the space that I'm just like, how are you in health? when you have zero understanding or, or empathy or positivity towards certain ethnic groups, specifically Māori, hmm. what the fuck are you doing in this industry? Yeah, it's almost like one of those things, Stefan, when you uh, go, go into work, go into your office each day and, like I say, look at stats like that or look at uh, policies that you're trying to implement that get pushed back and you go, why the, why the fuck does this job exist you know, yeah. you know you know what why do why do i have why do i have why is this job here you know like yeah. i shouldn't and have to have to do this job this job shouldn't be a thing yeah it's nuts and the other thing that's really crazy um is that those 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 statistics the ones that we're you know across the board they're not also only filled with maori they're filled with Europeans, filled mm. with um, Pacifica people. They're filled with um, Asian people, Indian people. Like so, it's it, it, only 
not only is it like a teardown of of an indigenous population but it's also a teardown in the fabric of um equitable status in society of where you stand in the wealth metrics hmm. of this country like if you're not in the fucking earning a six-figure salary um or you know you're kind of screwed hmm. right flow and on effect say yeah so it affects not only maori it's, it's affecting europeans it's affecting but it's affecting also a lot of those people in those that lower echelon or, or propping up all the all the shitty stats there's a whole lot of them that are good human beings hmm. and they all they want better for themselves they they want that they don't want to be there hmm. no one wants to be there um hmm. so oh man i sound like shit I might have blown up your podcast, bro. No, that's good. That's good. Well, one 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 last question I did have when you said you've, you're making those iwi links. How is that going to be balanced with geography? So, like, there's there's plenty of North yeah. Island Kaitahu members, yeah. you know. Like, how's how's that iwi link and geography link going to be balanced? In regards to the iwi health boards. Yeah. 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 So I mean, so Kaitahu iwi, they'll I think they're one of the first. So they'll be. Um, looking obviously on the Rohi, the area that they're based in, people that are say outside of that iwi. So you know have mana whenua, so the people of the land that's part mm -hmm. of the Rohi. So you got tangata whenua, which is people of in the land, right? So those iwis and the iwi authorities, um, I mean, so the iwi health boards, they will care for the people that are of Maori descent that's in their rohi anyway mm -hmm. so that'll be you won't be no segregation in regards to oh you're kaitahu sorry you have to go and have to, go to Christchurch to get a surgery please yeah. <laughs> but what i'm hoping too is also that you'll get really strong um statistical information being created and built so you can understand the health of your iwi mm. um you know how healthy is your iwi or how unhealthy or what areas of need uh um are being highlighted that affect your people from your iwi mm. so and that could lead to like what how what percentage of your iwi um need housing mm. you know what percentage of your iwi needs to see an optometrist <laughs> you know like on it's like honestly that could really become a very important piece because you might find that there's some um characteristical I guess health anomalies which exist in certain areas. Well, well, Ma Māori and Pacific Island have a very <laughs> high percentage of of a condition called keratoconus, where mm. especially as these um, a, a lot of its males, um, is it's kind of like an allergic condition, and their cornea bulges out, so you lose all definition of what what you're looking at. So mm -hmm. lots of people will squint, and it's amazing what they can decipher, but it delays your ability to learn right as you're trying to learn and you know so that's a bit again a barrier to education because yeah. there's a barrier to health and um there's an association with this allergic exmary asmary type thing and that might just be because of the housing that you live in so yeah. again we've got this cluster of of situations which lead mm. to a poor outcome ultimately mm. and it's the same with when they look at prison populations there's a high amount of prison populations that have keratoconus and there's a higher amount of prison populations that have um 
behavioral eye conditions and guess what they're illiterate too so yeah <laughs> yeah there's a whole, and if you can um get on right you know for you it'd be an optometrist but like man if i can get i'm made aware of that a lot earlier i'll be able to the, the knock-on, the positive knock-on effect, right, of you mm. diagnosing it in someone who's quite young could be massive. It could be life-changing, right? Yeah, and, and with technology now, we can send them to an ophthalmologist to treat the cornea so it's hardened and stopped bulging forward and thinning. Mm. So they no longer have full bone keratoconus where they need a cornea graft and are basically essentially blind in that eye for a while. And, you know, again, like you say, we can be aware of that, be aware of the risk factors of it and address it and create you know never create a problem it's, it's yeah. you know. i mean that's i think that's why we do what we do. i mean that's why i'm doing what i'm doing i guess i just want to you know see, i'm so, i'm learning so much and i've been a minute in public health um but it's just you know there's a massive opportunity there to have a, a amazing positive impact mm. um for the whole of the country for everybody and you know, well, they say like, you know, was it health creates wealth, you know? Mm. Um, and, you know, if you have, you don't have a, such a heavy proportion of your population um, burdening the health um, facilities and what's available, then you're, you know, you could be directing money in other areas to support other healthier outcomes, you know? Yeah. We, you know, we still have an issue around you know, um, obesity, which leads to high sugar intakes with things, you know, fast mm. foods and so forth. You know, our nutrition is fucking awful. Yeah. You know? I'm, just, I'm just thinking of when, when I was talking to Rob Wolf, you know, he's talking about even, even the cartels of Mexico are looking at how do we reverse type 2 diabetes because this shit's going to bankrupt us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you've seen in a lot of countries, like, what I've seen explosion in, um, obesity but in part two diabetes and the, the effect is phenomenal yeah um and like how do you re, you do it so i mean you should hopefully you get glenn on bro and have a yarn of film like he's yeah he's, isn't different in, in the pipeline that's true <laughs> he's fantastic um guy he's got a lot of knowledge um around type two topic but even that sort of um transition from being a gp and making that transition over the ketogenic and then seeing what the benefits were and and how that's helped you know that only occurred a few years ago mm. you know so that's a massive change in the mind in regards to shifting over to what he's doing yeah and what's exciting as well is today and tomorrow's at the like i said you he's at the gp conference talking yeah. to gps and and uh nurses and health practitioners about yeah. uh implementing this and you mentioned last night that 31st and then you look it up actually 31st of um Last month, May, or it might have been March, well, no, it must be May, um, that uh, the American Diabetes Association, so in 2018, they acknowledged remission, and mm. in, that, in that position statement, they acknowledged the role that the research behind low-carbon ketogenic diets had, yeah. um, and then he said that, yeah, 31st of May, they've actually created a 28-page booklet on how to implement a low-carbohydrate diet or mm. a ketogenic diet for the reversal of type 2 diabetes, so... Yeah, that's what that's one to look up and again have have on my tabs that are open to prove a point. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. No, he's a, he's, buddy, he's got a, a really good um, 
basket of knowledge and what he's achieved too, like is, is phenomenal. Um, and I know there's a few others up in Auckland that are <clears throat> going down that pathway as well. Yeah, yeah, the work that Grant Schofield's doing with and his wife well, with Precure is, is is pretty amazing, and we're starting to see that because those people have done the training with Precure, and now they're starting to implement their training, which is which is pretty cool. And um, yeah, yeah. Grant Schofield's a hell of a resource. That, that guy, I, I heard him talk at, at the end of twenty sixteen, and I've had him on the podcast two or three oh, times, yeah. and yeah, yeah, what a champ. Mate, there's a there's a load of people, right? And it's got it's quite cool, like in New Zealand, right? You think like you got people at the forefront of um, ketogenic, but also fighting type two, mm. which we're going to become world leaders. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even, I, even though I might, they... yeah, well, that's what my joke is that. Uh, well, it's not a joke; it's only funny to me, probably. But um, <laughs> that uh, US, UK, and Europe acknowledged type two diabetes remission in 2018. Australia acknowledged it last year in 2021. Usually we're 10 years behind the rest of the world, but mm. we'll be five years behind Australia. So I sort of wonder if uh, it'll be 2026 or 2028 that we acknowledge diabetes <laughs> remission. But if, uh, is it Jim Maher or Man or whatever his name is in Otago? Yeah. yeah. If he retires uh, before then, well, then I think the floodgates will open. <laughs> oh, he's dead against it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and, you know, he's like... an interesting guy to get on and have a yarn with, right? That, that alternative perspective. Yeah, ask him a little bit about how much funding he's had for his research from Sanitarium. <laughs> hey, yeah. Um, who are they? What are they? they Seventh, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Yeah. Seventh-day Adventist Church, right? Pay no taxes. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. It's And, and is a direct descendant from, from Kellogg's International. So... You know, they might be called Sanitarium in New Zealand and Australia, and you know, New Zealand-based or Australian-based company. But realistically, it's all—it's all with our Battle Creek and Michigan and the Kelloggs and Seventh Day Adventist Church and yeah, you'd have you'd have, you'd have to go back to the Belinda Fecky uh, podcast to really dive into that. Uh, not conspiracy. They 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 acknowledge that they influence dietetics around the world themselves and they even quote Belinda Vicky's research in their own statement that they influence uh, dietetics and dietary advice and um, and the like these are the words they use the emission to prove uh, the um, plant-based diet which which oh. came from, which came from a vision from somebody in the early seventh day puritanical adventist well, plant-based, plant-based diet yeah, so Loma Linda University in the States, that's a Seventh-day Adventist area, um, pushing the plant-based diet. Uh, the uh, School of Nutrition and Epidemiology at, I think it's Harvard, so it's mm. a subsidiary of Harvard, and the, the, and the origins of the School of Dietetics and, and those epidemiology studies, they're all based out of Seventh-day Adventist um, influence, yeah. Yeah, well, carnivore baby. There we yeah. Go. <laughs> what, what is that? What is old um the that carnivore MD? Oh, Joel Saladino. No, Joel Saladino. What's the name? Saladino. Paul Saladino. These this broccoli is bullshit. It's trying to poison you. <laughs> I know. He's, he's super extreme. He's ultra. Yeah, he's uh, ultra. Uh, well, uh, Sean Baker. Sean Baker. I I had Sean on the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, early days, somewhere around episode twenty four, as I oh, shit. Yeah. got a, got a Sean Baker on. Yeah, yeah it was just just after just after being on Joe Rogan, I was yeah. listening to the podcast in my garage in Cambridge, 
and tagged him and he kind of had that many followers or something because he read the message and saw it. He's like, I used to live in Cambridge. I used to play rugby for a whole tapple. And I was like, yeah, man, that's who I play rugby for. <laughs> oh, shit. I was like, just while I got you here, do you want to come on a podcast? He's like, yeah, go for it. It'll be sweet. <laughs> hey, fuck, you've had some superstars on, mate. <laughs> it's good fun. It's good fun. No, you've had some superstars, mate. That, um, yeah, I'll just do actually just kind of uh, meat and fruit. Yep. Butter, bro. That's it. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I dabble in the cuminous still, and 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 oh, uh, and the old yeah. potato yeah, around yeah. then. I, did, I got pretty yeah. strict into keto around that 2016-17, but yeah, um, you got to have a little bit of you know. We're from Southland, man. We're allowed to have a bit of cuminous, a bit of uh, sweet. <laughs> I haven't had sweet in years, mate. That is like, no, I don't want sweet. Yeah. No, bro, I'm not having sweet again. <laughs> <laughs> so i know that i asked them do you have sweden what is that well the most pathetic thing as well when you go to a supermarket especially in auckland and a swede is like no bigger than your fist whereas yeah. the swede you get in the goggles bigger than your head yeah right you know and i used to hate it do you know me used to I used to feed the cows swede yeah you know because the milk would taste like oh, fuck, no, <laughs> you're like yeah they've been their farmers been feeding their cows sweet again <laughs> like, that was no, that no. was back in the day when it was true town supply and when we when, yeah, we, still, yeah, right. when we still had the glass bottles being delivered yeah. to your to your gate <laughs> just quickly yeah, there's a i'm sure i'm hoping they're still up and running but there's um sure there's um there's a dairy farm out in woodlands and yep. they're doing the old glass the, um exchange nice. so you can go there and you fill up uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah for raw milk or, or yeah raw milk Oh, this would better be, be quiet about that allegedly yeah, <laughs> there's, all, there's, there's all sorts of food safety rules around this sort of oh, stuff in there. i think yeah, i think you've no. got to basically be a shareholder in the cow no yeah i'm not a raw milk person i don't like <laughs> period i don't know that was all good um <laughs> but yeah bro yeah hey oh, man me how long have we been yarning for ages we talked about everything what what haven't we talked about what's one thing we haven't um there's always on. there's always other intelligence <laughs> Yeah, Elon I was about to say, I, I threw in some crypto there. So they, 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 yeah, you threw some crypto in there. Yeah. Elon Musk. Um, Elon Musk buying the, Twitter. Free, oh, well, free he's speech. Put on hold, right? He's oh, put he's, it on hold. Not surprising. Yeah. I was reading the other day, he put it on hold because um, he's trying to get out of Twitter. He wants to know how many... Real people, eh? Yeah, how many are real people and how many are actual bots. And Twitter reckons, oh, it's only 5%. And he goes, there's no chance. I yeah. want to know what the real figure is. So apparently he's holding out. 44 billion dollars right yeah yeah pocket change speaking of wealth <laughs> how rich is he mate yeah builds rockets got it's like crazy 44 billion i'm gonna buy twitter yeah Done. on the flip side we haven't talked about fuel prices either weather josh pekewis he's back <laughs> yeah i saw that yeah That's i saw i saw i saw old tim boys running around for an all golds team the other week i was like geez i should get him back to to the rory pen well, got, um scott gregory signed himself in, right good you see good. that yeah yeah well, they, a, bloody, he's got a hamstring issue right now that's not that good to us uh, I thought, yeah, he's a he's a um like 100 percent northland boy and he's staying mm. down on stags yeah because he played there last year eh? after that was but that was, i think that was via sevens so like isaac um tatamaki amanaki oh, nicole who I played with in, in Christchurch Sevens. Oh, yeah. um, they had uh, Lee Bristow there for a while. Okay. He was sort of fringe, fringe Sevens. 
Maersk from from Hamilton. Hamilton Maersk boy. Jesus, the unit. He signed like about 18 players. <laughs> was the rest of them coming? Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting who they um else they they get. I, I was imagining that um oh, oh Marty Banks. Marty Banks he's decent. Um old Dale McLeod. I thought, is that Moana Pacifica? I wonder how many of those boys he's gonna bring down to, to Southland Stags from. Who's the lock or locks come flanker that's playing for Moana Pacifica? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, he's he's also Southlander. Yeah. Oh, true. Southland boys, fella. Uh, well, hopefully they do well. Mm. Stags boys do well. I, I throw a bit of banter at them on Instagram. Of I course. did this morning because I had the Broncos um, post up doing the Broncos. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mate. Did they put up a time? They never put up a time. Uh, hey, uh, I've I've um, done fitness testing with the guys that went and played sevens and kicked their ass. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know who, who was the trainer for the stags this year. Oh, I don't know. Don't know. Yeah, might be some. I tell you, man, we need to do a dual. Um, we need to get a podcast with some of those stag boys. Right, that would be so hilarious, right? Yeah. Well, we should we should also uh, get it get in on some on some games. Um, yeah, yeah. Did, you, did you see old uh, um, another Scott uh, Scott Ede for a while there? He was he was doing a, a club rug, club rugby roundup with oh was he? Yeah, with uh, uh, what's fuck guy's name? Anyway, that's his nickname, fuck guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a couple of the Marist boys. Still playing? Yeah. Is Scott Ede still playing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely definitely playing for Marist. Um, don't know, don't know about. It. Because he, he, he went and played for Dunedin for a little while and played for Otago for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he went up and he'd come back down. Play for your Sharks. <laughs> go play for the Sharkies. Yeah. I saw um a quick story last, oh, I think last week, and they were talking about um how Otago's been going down there raiding all the good young boys out of high schools, oh. you know, shipping, shipping them up to Otago. They must be, they must be watching James Hargis then, surely. Poor <laughs> high, actually, apparently. Oh yeah, that'd be um, that'd be that'd be that'd be true. Well, at least at least it's not Christchurch like the the Corey Flynn days, and yeah. and, uh, and Justin Marshall, of course. Justin Marshall, um, old. Um, there's a few boys went up there. Up well, we, we we poached David Hall back, so that was something, wasn't it? What did he go up there? Well, he was playing for Canterbury originally. I'm pretty sure. Oh shit! How how the hell did Southland get Paul Miller back in the day? Uh well, he's, a, he's from down there as well. So his family's out in, um, are they out in Wyndham somewhere? Oh, so why, why was he playing for Waikato for all that time? Uh, yeah. I just remember, I just remember Paul Miller being just the ultimate bruiser. Well, yeah, I remember being on the terrace and watching Paul Miller just start fights. Because he was at King's, <laughs> King's College, right? And Dunners. Ah, right. Yeah, he was there and then he was playing. And then he just shifted back down. I, um, I heard a, I had a good, no, who do I talk to? Oh, no. You should listen to um, Elliot Dixon and uh, Lima Sapunga, their podcast with on Waterlad. Oh, yeah, definitely listen to Elliot Dixon. Yeah, yeah. Shit, that was hilarious. How he's like knocked out Ash Dixon and yeah, yeah. and just, uh, not just Martian, Jimmy Cowan. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> that knocking out of Jimmy Cowan, I'm not surprised. I remember. I remember being in Invercargill after Stags had played. They must have played Otago and Otago won it. And that was when Jimmy had come back and then he was going to be going off again. 
and yeah. I was at old Baluka there on D Street, and and I was with my rugby coach from Dunedin, who's an ex-cop, and he had a bit to do with the Highlanders and stuff like that. And I go, oh yeah, all the best, Jimmy. And he just goes, you what? <laughs> like bars up, bars up. I was like, for God's yeah. sake. And yeah, Heidi's like, Jimmy, just carry on going home. I think think um, Hawani was with him, so yeah, oh, yeah. He, he was. He was McDonald proper maybe. bogan, mate. Yeah, proper. Who <laughs> escorted him home? <laughs> Literally, like absolute yeah. bogan. He's mm. a good footy player, though. Give him his juice. Yeah. He's tough as nails. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, bro, we better go to sleep and call it a day. Yeah. And Gareth, Jimmy, and Zed. Yeah, champion. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's see good some- to talk. See some Murphs. <laughs> oh, mate. You'll see some more Murphs, right? Uh, 192 tomorrow. So yeah. uh, You should write it, it with four R's there, Stefan. Murph. Yeah, yeah, I know. Someone said that. Hey, we should call you just Papa Smurf. Smurf. <laughs> Papa Smurf. Yo, man. I actually like that. It's quite cool. It's good. It's good. Yeah. All right, brother. Hey, good to see you. Good to have a yarn about um everything. Everything, bro. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, we'll have to jack up some um, Stags commentary. At some yeah. point, I know that'd be actually we should do that. We should post so hey, look, we're willing to do stag commentary for a couple of games, right? It'd be <laughs> absolutely hilarious. But like, yeah, Jamie McKay move over. There's some new people in town. <laughs> yeah, there's some new people rolling in, you know. <laughs> Same target's finest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true yeah. rugby, true rugby school. Yeah. Uh, true true factory as they call it. Yeah. Powerhouse. <laughs> right, brother. Hey, See, you, mate. Mate. See you, brother. See you, brother.